Hello, and welcome back to Sudden But Inevitable, the sci-fi rewatch podcast where we bring a first-timer along for the ride every single time. I, of course, am your host, Captain Bootscoot, a.k.a. Vanilla Husband, a.k.a. Jesse, and I would just like to say hello and good morning to you and good evening to some of the rest of you. Depends on if you're here live or if you're listening in podcast version. Now, of course, I can't do this show by myself, but before I introduce my crew, I want to say hello to Mal in the chat. Thank you for being here, Mal. Greetings. You are one of the biggest supporters of a very good friend of ours, and I would also like to say hello to Aaron from It's a Fandom Thing Pod. Hello, Meg. I better... Oh, Meg better love this. Uh, So, spoiler alert, Meg is here. Uh, We'll get to that in just one moment. First of all, you know that I cannot fly the boat that is sudden but inevitable without my co-pilot, and his name, of course, is Josh. Josh, of course, is the host of a Star Wars podcast called Quest Me that is just about to start covering the book of Boba Fett. Josh, how are you doing this week? I'm okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm hanging in there. Um, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm, I came down with a little bit of the thing that's going around lately, if anybody knows about that thing that's going around. I came yeah. down with that, so I'm still podcasting. Uh, still trying to stay alive and stuff. Um, no, but it, just a fair warning: if I do dip out of this um, show every once in a while, it's probably because I just need to like cough or something. But just just a fair warning. I'm doing great though. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. I'm so excited to be here as always. Um, yeah, that's, it, that's what I. Got. It has been a while. To your point. Um, this is the first show that we have done together post-holidays 2021. So if there's yeah. a little bit of rust, we're going to take some time to shake it off. Shake it off. I would also like to say hello in the live chat to our very good friend and wonderful supporter, Callie D., who, of course, is of no relation to the next person that I'm about to introduce you to, which is Ricky D. from Best Flicks with Ricky D. Ricky D. from Best Flicks with Ricky D. How are you doing this week, my friend? I'm doing pretty good. I... I hurt my ankle earlier this week. I'm still doing my dentist runs and all of that. So I guess we're kind of running with a injured ship right now. But I think we're going to be able to hold it together and make it through this. And I also want to say that uh, because Josh has got that thing going around, he kind of has an excuse for having no taste this week. Oh, <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. that hurts. Well, lucky for me, I still have all my senses. So, uh... I'm ready to give them to you. Wow. <laughs> Let's put all these comments in a time capsule and open them back up in a couple of weeks and see how they age. Now, I like I said, and like Ricky said, this is there's going to be some rust here. We're we're working on shaking it all off. We are getting back into form because as everyone here knows, season 3 of Sudden But Inevitable is coming up starting January 7th. So we need to be in form by then. Now, to help us get into form, we have brought along our final person to introduce, and she is a professional podcaster, ladies and gentlemen. If you have watched or listened to Sudden But Inevitable before, much like Rona has in our live chat, you know who we're talking about. We are talking about, of course, Meg from the Bed, Wed, or Behead podcast. Meg, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. How is your week? Thank you for having me. Well, I feel like I should say I broke both my arms and I've been in an iron lung, but I've been pretty good this week. 
Yeah. Okay. I don't have any injuries to report, so I guess I'm doing great. Also, oh, I love if, you too, Matt. If you're watching on uh, YouTube or Facebook live with us on Sudden But Inevitable, the left side of the screen, healthy. Right side of the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much. Thank you. Compromise. So much. <laughs> Josh, Ricky, and Meg for being here. I, I can't tell you guys. I mean, you know me. I'm a big softy. I, I love you. I love having you here. I love doing the show with you. I'm really excited to do this. And I promise that we're going to tell you what we're here to talk about in just one moment. But first, we're going to have a flashback. A sudden but inevitable flashback, flashback. Flashback, flashback, flashback. You may remember, in our last episode, we spoke about a 1976 sci-fi masterpiece called Logan's Run. And we had some questions about that movie mostly surrounding the soundtrack and the score to the movie which were really funky i I mean experimental is probably a better word to use for it um but as we discussed that uh over the course of our discussion josh naturally thought what about our friends chris and leslie from the measuring the score podcast i bet they could help us out with this question and thankfully Chris and Leslie from Measuring the Score did send us in a couple of thoughts about Logan's run, score, and soundtrack. Josh, take it away, my friend. Hey, everybody. Chris and Leslie from Measuring the Score podcast. Going to give our quick thoughts on the Logan's run score by Jerry Goldsmith. First off, I got to say this score was very inventive, very original, very different for its time because this was 1976. And the first thing I noticed with the, the first track, The Dome, it sounded a lot like Alien from, you know, Ridley Scott's Alien, which was very, you know, which is really cool because Alien didn't come out until 1979. So there was a lot of horror, very thrilling moments in there compared to a lot of the more adventurous sounding tracks. And that was uh, one thing about this score was it would hop from genre to genre, very adventurous, very thrilling, very, you know, moving. And then it would go to very, Thriller, terror-filled, you know, very different. I mean, I don't know if that's how you felt, Leslie. What stuck out with me predominantly was the first part of the uh, score, which was synth, which was state-of-the-art at the time. You didn't hear much of it. But then I heard some key changes in there that made you feel uncomfortable. I felt like because of the theme of the film and the way that the score was written, he made it in such a way that the synthesizers and the key changes in there made you feel uncomfortable because of the subject matter of the film. I picked up on that uh, almost immediately. Anything in a minor key is supposed to make you feel uncomfortable anyway. Right. I, th- I think that was the more terror-filled moments. Now, the there, there was this one track, uh, You're Renewed is the name of the, the track. I love that. It did not sound like it came from 1976. It, it sounded like it came from, like, you know, something from modern times. So it tells you how, you know, ahead of the time the score really was. But there there was, like, uh, another one, Flame Out was another name. It, it really just didn't fit with what was going on. It was all synthesized and it was very dated because it was 1976 synth. And, you know, he, he was trying a lot of very experimental and it had a lot of weird moments in the score. There were weird moments, but there was also moments in the score that was really reminiscent of when he wrote for Star Trek, the movies. Yes. Uh, I could see where his sound had evolved from then until the 80s when those Star Trek films started to come out. Um, it was very apparent that this was 
uh, a composition by him. You could tell it was his style, even though um, he did use the synthesizer in it. But I did note that the synthesizer was not used throughout the score. You have, uh, you do have orchestral moments uh, that were just predominantly orchestra. I think a lot of the score where I really liked it was where the orchestra was complemented by the synth and everything. And a lot of that stuff really did work. I agree. So that was our thoughts on Logan's Run's score. Now, you can listen to our podcast wherever, basically, you can listen to podcasts at uh you can contact us on facebook and instagram just search measuring the score podcast you can find us on twitter at measure the score you can even send us an email measuring the score at gmail.com so as always for measuring the score i'm chris and i'm leslie have a good one thank you so much to chris and leslie of measuring the score for that i, analysis. I agree I, with them so much too yeah it's great. I, I, like think, I, I think they should do this that movie on one of their shows i i'm just Throwing a challenge out there. A ch- if it hasn't been done already. A, po- a podcasting challenge. You have been, po- I can't think of a clever term for that. You've Pod been podcast challenge. challenged. Yeah. Perfect. Challenge cast. <laughs> it really gives the precise thing you want. So. <laughs> it It's descriptive of what it is, and it can't be mistaken for what it isn't. So that's uh, a benefit. So as we had thought on our last episode, they would be able to definitely explain what we were hearing a lot better than we could. So thank you guys yeah, so much sure. for getting that in. Um, I, I know that that was kind of a unique request and it took probably more effort than you would have appreciated being, you know, given, but thank you so much for doing that. Please, please, please go check out measuring the score. That's one of those podcasts that when I listen to it, I come away from it going, I learned things and I had a good time and I feel like I could teach people about this thing now, Um, as evidenced by the fact that we spoke about it on our last episode. Now that we have that out of the way, let's go ahead and just really quickly talk about what we're here to do this week, which is to watch the 2001 movie, Donnie Darko. This, of course, is Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D's (laughs) suggestion. This is the first time that he has picked what we watched. This is the first time that's been available because we're doing our cool movie season. And that's why we're here on a Wednesday night is we want to get this out of the way before season three happens. We didn't want to relegate Ricky D to a later year or anything like that. So we need to get a synopsis of this movie. And then we have one more very cool voicemail from a big fan of this movie to play so josh my friend have you got that synopsis if you do go ahead and read it and I then do. play that voice so man. i'm honestly it's it's just a quick little storyline just to kind of get through the whole thing but donnie darko doesn't get along too well with his family his teachers and his classmates but he does manage to find a sympathetic friend in gretchen who agrees to date him he has a compassionate psychiatrist who discovers hypnosis is the means to unlock hidden secrets his other companion may not be a true ally Donnie has a friend named Frank, a large bunny, which only Donnie can see. When an engine falls off a plane and destroys his bedroom, Donnie is not there. Both the event and Donnie's escape seem to have been caused by supernatural events. Now, if you wouldn't mind, now that we're all properly spooked out and ready to be Donnie Darko-ified, please play the very cool voicemail from our friend Aaron at It's a Fandom Thing podcast, and then we will jump into this discussion ears first got it hello this is Aaron from it's a fandom thing and i'm so excited to briefly share my thoughts on the amazing masterpiece donnie darko i have seen this movie over 60 times 
when I first watched it, I got it from Netflix. It was one of the first movies I ever got from Netflix. And I watched it every day for a week while I kept it there. Actually, I kept it until I could get the one that I purchased. So I bought the DVD that I still have that DVD copy. It's like this thing where I don't want to buy another one because <laughs> it holds so many memories from for me. And this was in like 2003. Anyway, so I bought that one and I proceeded to watch the whole movie or part of the movie or a behind the scenes thing for the movie every day for a month. I am not kidding. And then I would go on to make sure everybody in my life got to see this movie. And so I'm so happy that Meg is finally watching one of my favorite movies. I hope she loves it. This could be a test of our friendship. Just kidding. Love you anyway. But this movie means a lot to me for many, many reasons. We did a whole episode on it. So go listen to our episode too, talking about Donnie Darko. But a lot of the reason this movie means so much to me is its portrayal of uh, mental health, mental illness. And also because every time I watch this, I discover something new. And like I said, I've seen it over 60 times. And that's just something special and remarkable and very rare in a movie. So I can't wait to watch and listen to this episode. So thank you so much. And and Cellar Door, thank you. Well played, Aaron, from It's a Fandom Thing pod. Go ahead, Ricky. If D. I could just say... No pressure on me, Aaron though. from a Fandom Thing podcast <laughs> is a beautiful genius with impeccable taste. <laughs> so thank you, Aaron. I appreciate you summing that up so well. And we have Aaron in the chat, so uh, she, we know that she appreciates the feedback. Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D. Aaron, um, really quickly, I feel like I should probably explain for those of our listeners that are of a certain age, um, when she says <laughs> she got this movie from Netflix, what she is referring to is... The, oh, the DVD era. Oh, yeah. yeah. Netflix, yeah. Netflix would send you DVDs in the mail physically to your house. I remember... Um, and then you could hold on to them, and then when you send it back in their prepaid envelope, they would send you the next DVD in your queue. Mm-hmm. I believe Netflix could credibly be argued to be the reason that Americans know what the word queue is at all. They actually still do that. I think the DMV well, yes, would be more the reason people know what queue is. Who? The DMV. Oh, oh. Do they say queue at the DMV? Y- yeah. No. I, I've never seen I mean, maybe not. Okay. I don't know. You know what, Josh? I feel like... I'm going to take your word for it. Yep, Josh is right. <laughs> I learned the word Q from Roller Coaster Tycoon. Touche. <laughs> Touche. This is, this is the kind of... I mean, I learned from Monty Python, so... <laughs> this is why people come to Sudden But Inevitable, is to figure okay. out where we learned the word Q. Um, but yes, uh, to Megan's point... Uh, Netflix will still send you physical DVDs. Do they have Blu-rays now? Do we know? I haven't. Okay, I would assume so. I, I haven't gotten a physical item from Netflix in a while. But um, yeah, before they pioneered streaming, they they had movies in the mail, which was really cool, and it killed Blockbuster. Um, so Blockbuster killed itself. They could have bought Netflix, and they didn't. They, For like a million yeah. dollars or something too. Yeah. Like was, yeah. <laughs> we so, don't need that. That's not the future. We're the future. But I will comment (laughs) to Aaron's point. There is a there is something about this movie 
that compels you to share it with people who have never seen it before. And there, it is shot and conducted in a way that gives you reason to rewatch it. There are more things to pick up on rewatches, things like that. So I'm really excited because we have people here on every part of the Donnie Darko wheel, right? Okay, so Ricky D, spoiler alert, this is one of Ricky D's favorite movies. That's why he chose this movie for us to watch. Um, Josh has also seen this movie um, at least more than once. I have seen this movie more than once. I think this time, the most recent watch that happened yesterday and today was the first time I'd seen it in probably 15 years, but I, I had a vastly different experience this time than I did the first time. And our wonderful, beautiful... Let's just be honest. Meg has the best hair of anyone on the screen, right? Um, Meg, okay, on the this screen. Is her, <laughs> all right, fine. <laughs> this is Meg's Don't make first me put it down, Meg. <laughs> having seen Donnie Darko. So it fits with the sudden but inevitable theme. We have our first timer here with us in Meg. So because she is also our guest, I feel like it's only right to just have Meg right out of the gate. No pressure. Oh <laughs> when this movie started, Meg... First first 10 minutes, 15 minutes of the movie. How are you feeling? What is your experience? What's happening? Go. Okay. So thanks, first off, for the softball, super easy movie to, to be the You're first, welcome. first to be the first time watch. Um, so first 10 or 15 minutes, and I do have to preface this by saying I watched it last night on like the free Roku channel, and it had ads and weird cuts, and it was just not... It was a very different experience than I watched it today when Carla was nice enough to give me your password. <laughs> I had ads on Amazon, too. It was weird. I don't understand. I, I pay for Prime, too, so it was just weird. Amazon yeah, I saw that you could watch it free with ads, but Carla bought it, and she let me her her, her password so I could watch it. Um, so that's the first, <laughs> Yes, that's my wife. The first 10, 15 minutes, I kind of... I had no idea what was going on because I, when I say that I haven't seen this movie before last night, I have, I didn't know anything about it. I, I missed it in the zeitgeist, I guess, of growing up because I was 17 when this movie came out. Hmm. So it really should have kind of been in my wheelhouse. I'd heard of it over and over again. I mean, I'm friends with Aaron, so I, I of course, heard about it. (laughs) (laughs) But it was very just, it felt very surreal in the first 10, 15 minutes. And I knew it was going to be, all I knew was that it was going to be a dark and intense thing that I shouldn't have my kids next to me while I was watching. Yeah. Um, I don't think kids would uh, like it. They, or, until, like even get, it'd be so boring for them, you know? I no, here's, here's the deal. I think my 13 year old yeah. might okay. really, really get it. It. my nine-year-old okay. would be terrified of yeah. the rabbit i think that that's the key is it depends on the kid and it depends on the age because there's probably per kid an age line where it's like definitely don't show them before this mm-hmm. but sure totally show them after right after because they'll be totally fine and we were all uh, 13 when it first came out and i remember the yeah. obsession with so, it when we were all that age so it makes sense right and it and it was now in case you also missed Donnie Darko in the Zeitgeist, you're you're not alone. Uh, the movie didn't have a great initial run, um, partially because it features an airplane engine falling out of the sky into a house and was released in, in the year 2001. 2001. Mm-hmm. 
October, if I'm not mistaken. Like it was a release around the same yeah. time that the movie yeah. takes place. So um, it's it's one of those, you know, it's an unfortunate coincidence, which is possibly the most perfect thing to happen to this movie, right? <laughs> like it's almost fitting that this movie would get screwed by a perfect coincidence of its timing, literally. <laughs> the first time that it that it was available to the public right there's something poetic about that um which i didn't realize until right now that we're talking about it which is kind of cool but i i feel like we're gonna get into it in a not a combative way but in maybe a loud way so before we do that i can't get loud or combative or anything right now man i'm just trying to get through this (laughs) our Our wonderful friend Callie in the chat says, as someone who watched Donnie Darko for the first time at about 12 or 13, I wouldn't recommend it. But (laughs) Callie D, wouldn't you say that by like 15 or 16, you'd be like, totally fine? Like, because there's, okay, we'll we'll get into it. Before we get into it, Ricky D, you are the standard bearer for Donnie Darko. Bear the standard, my friend. Why did you select this movie for us? Oh, uh, well, we're looking for something that's kind of in the sci-fi range. We want something maybe a little under the radar, or at least has it been seen by uh, you know our audience. And it's just, Johnny Darko, I have so many incredible emotions tied to it. You were talking about how this is the kind of movie that people want to show their friends. And I remember in college, I was the guy going, Johnny Darko, we're doing Johnny Darko movie night. Everybody, everybody who hasn't seen it, have you not seen it? That's really uh, easy it, to picture for me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, I really love the, like, kind of anti-establishment part of it. Uh, they're talking about uh, destruction creates life. Uh, there's the whole um, uh, attitudinal beliefs, mm. the whole attitudinal beliefs thing. Uh, when I first watched this at 17 years old, I was kind of like at my most angriest with religion at that point in my life. So I loved the anti-religious message of the of the satire and the attitudinal beliefs, uh, and it just really latched into me. Yeah, well, and at some point it becomes less of a subtext and more of a text um, at at Donnie's hands at the microphone. Um, so, okay, I this this thing is. I would like to say really quickly hello to our friend Lauren in the live chat. She is the host of a very cool podcast called Beard Al. It, she talks about beer and Weird Al. I don't know what else to tell you. Go listen to it. It's amazing. She says, I had a Donnie Darko evangelist boyfriend in college, and subsequently I have not watched this movie <laughs> since college, which it's, it's respectable. I, again, fair. it's Honestly, so easy fair. to picture. Like, th- this is that movie, right? This is that movie. To Ricky D's point, like, there are probably some people that he went to college with that won't watch this movie anymore because of him. But I know in my heart that Ricky D is fine and proud about that. So I'm, I'm not worried. Who about needs it. those friends? No. Right. <laughs> but this, this movie is, there is a quality to it that is so ultra specific to the time frame. you know, not to, not to start the puns immediately, but this one part of a teenager's life, right? This this part of your life where you have a lot of confidence with sort of no reason to have that confidence other than 
all the adults in your life are like, you are really smart. You're totally with it. Like you could do anything, you know, that kind of a thing. You're gifted. And it's, it's like this pressure that you feel and this, this combined with the pressure of, you know, looking the worst you will look in your whole life and feeling the worst you will feel in your whole life and being at high school with some of the worst people you'll ever meet in your whole life. You know, it's just like being a teenager is difficult and it's, it's, it's like difficult on an existential level. And Jake Gyllenhaal, love or hate him, and I think I'm like 100% neutral on Jake Gyllenhaal. Like, I feel like I don't, I just don't care one way or the other if he is in a movie. Like, not in a bad way. I think he's really, really good. But like, putting him in a movie isn't a reason where I'm going to be like, I'm going to go see that movie right away, right? <laughs> but I'm also not going to be like, well, I'm not seeing that ever. It's just like, I, is there anything else you'd like to tell me about this movie? <laughs> then, you know, other than that it has Jake Gyllenhaal. But has for me sister? personally, this is this is my favorite performance of his because this is this is so relatable in, in the way that, and I know I don't have the audience here right now, but I know that somewhere in the podcast verse, the audience is here for this. This movie made me want to watch Neon Genesis, Evangelion, and it's it's that same sort of like moment in a person's life where puberty and existing and being alive are difficult. And I feel like in a movie that is so openly about mental health, that's kind of a thing worth exploring for anybody, right? I mean, especially right now when everybody in the world is constantly stressed about everything all the time rightfully so um aaron from it's a fandom thing says he is good in this our friend mal says he it has so many big names uh the movie really does i forgot that drew barrymore was in this movie uh kevin bacon. she's actually sort of the reason that it got made did you say kevin bacon was that right no Are i'm you talking about Patrick. I, get them, I get them confused every time I get Kevin Bacon oh, okay. and he's crazy confused every single time. How? Okay. I don't know. I, I don't know why. It just happens. It's have you met me? Have you seen us podcast? <laughs> there's no way there's no way to know what it is, Meg. Because I do that with every single actor ever. I, I don't know what it is, but there's something in my brain that just doesn't <laughs> This is telling me that you did not spend nearly as much time watching Dirty Dancing and Ghost. I watched a lot of ghosts, but again, I always thought it was Kevin Bacon and Ghost. Girl, you in danger. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, Josh was I like, have you why. seen that I Kevin just... Bacon classic, Ghost? Ghost? <laughs> <laughs> um, Ashton Kutcher's ex-wife or whatever. Anyways, back to Donnie Darko. This movie apparently was going to not get made until Drew Barrymore and her production company stepped in and she was like, yes, we should make this movie. You got to see this script by this guy. Um, I remember looking up what else he did, Josh. If you want to IMDb him really quick, I remember some of the stuff. I don't remember I'm sorry, who, what I, I was felt reading about comments. it. What, which one? Uh, just the... Richard the, Kelly? Yeah. like uh, Yeah, the director, Richard Kelly. So yeah. It might um, be faster for Aaron to just type it out. <laughs> probably. She probably she probably has it. Yes. Uh, he did Domino. And he oh yeah, yeah. Did the box with Cameron Diaz? 
neither of which I have seen. And he did the critically but... acclaimed sequel to Donnie Darko, S. Darko. <laughs> uh, he actually did not. He was not involved with that, and he will go to great pains to explain that he was not involved with that. <laughs> it's just that um, they took his characters. Yeah, it was the ba- it was the baby sister from this movie. Um, so Mini the Darko. yeah, so she, but but it has it has Noah Wiley, you know, of of ER fame, etc. It has Seth Rogen as a bully. Uh, Who just... has the two best lines in the movie. That is what happens when Seth Rogen does cocaine instead of smoking weed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a really, you know, that makes so much sense. Because right? the movie is set like in the 80s. Other than... Good call, Meg. I mean, you yeah. watch him take a bomb. Is that him? Yeah. It was definitely before he identified as oh, a yeah, stoner. In the hallway. I mean, he, it was he in the was... hallway. In the like, hallway that he takes a bump in the opening... The principal, like, looks oh. at him, like, oh, amazing. Okay, <laughs> that I, whole opening sequence was in the hallway was awesome. Sorry. Okay, yeah. I agree, <laughs> and I, Aaron is immediately incensed. Um, <laughs> let me just say, a lot of feelings. <laughs> and so this movie, by the end of this episode, <laughs> this movie, as you may have noticed while watching it, um, is conducive to massaging your natural cynicism into a place where it feels justified if that's the way to say it is that ricky d is that the way to say it i think that's a good way to say it okay so okay i thought when you a good way to show that your teen angst means nothing in the long run because this movie meant nothing at the end and all of his angst that he showed meant nothing. i will argue against that But I will first say that is one reading that a lot of people have had of this movie. Um, totally like self-congratulatory, written by a guy who's like, nobody understands me, but like emotion is hard and like being a teenager is hard. And it's like, I don't think that he is saying that like I'm the first person to ever feel these things. I, I feel like he's just saying, here's my interpretation of that. And I don't necessarily feel that he's going, you know, like, nobody understands me he's saying here's why it feels like nobody understands you and this is what depression can feel like and this is what you know slowly dissociating from reality can feel like which is a coping mechanism that people can employ like purposefully right so it's eh, it's i could see reading it as a mostly negative thing but mostly having felt cynical the first time i watched this movie back in the day I will say this time I mostly felt positive about it coming out on the other side because I am in a different place in my life. I I know how to cope with some of the feelings that Donnie was having that I didn't know how to cope with the first time I saw the movie. Um, as a parent, pieces of this movie hit me way differently than they did the first time that I saw this movie. And I did not understand certain pieces of this movie until I watched it, I think, as a parent. And I'm not saying that you have to be a parent to understand it. I'm saying for me, that's what it took. Um, I just, I'm really impressed with this movie, even knowing that it was written so many years ago and, you know, created maybe from a space of like confusion, but it really does speak truly human messages, I think. And that's one of the things that I enjoy about the movie, because as I, as you guys know, when I rate movie and when I talk about a movie for our show, I try to go based on the experience that I had and the emotions that it gave me. And I had a lot of fun watching this movie um, in a weird roller coastery type of way because there were pieces of it that where I was like, well, now I'm sad. 
and that's what the movie wants. So that's okay. I'm just going to be sad, you know. So, Josh, if, if you could, if you could, I know that you can't, but if you could extricate yourself from your current circumstances and then explain what it was like to watch this movie for you this time through, what would you say? Well, I watched it twice today because I had nothing else to do. So I watched it the first time sober, and I watched it the second time after smoking some marijuana. And I do, I would like to say that the first time, it just, it was just like watching Jake Gyllenhaal pout around and do his stupid little <laughs> stare all the time. And like, I don't know, when when he told his mom, why don't you just take the pills? I was like, ah, oh, God, like, I do see why a lot of people, and I, I don't know. When I was a kid and watched this movie for the first time, I was like, yeah, this is really cool because I was very self-involved and I thought, you know, I was very pretentious and that I thought I knew everything and blah, blah, blah. And like, oh, this time travel movie with some wormholes is like really, really like ahead of its time. And like, there's some really cool concepts here and blah, blah, blah. But then watching it like, the first time today when I watched it, I still was just like, eh, I just can't get into it. It's for whatever reason, I can't. I, I don't like looking at Gyllenhaal's face. I, the, I I feel like the story just kind of by the end of it, you're like, well, why did we even watch all of that? It just meant nothing. Like, he was just dead the whole time. Like, it doesn't even matter well, anymore. And OK, I get it. Oh, yeah, there's a director's cut and there's alternate endings and all that good stuff and explanations <laughs> and whatever. But like, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't even rely on that. I think you know me well enough to know that I watched this movie and then was like, probably but, but not from watch this what movie I got out of like this is this dude died ten minutes into the movie and we just saw like what he wanted his life to kind of go into, and then it didn't really matter because he was already dead. So your interpretation of it is that none of the time travel stuff happened. He was purely. I, I'm going to put this up on the screen. Thank you, Mal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, so you're flash it. Sure, sure. See, yeah. you know, you know what I just watched. So, Here, here's no, what but I I'm just asking, watched. and and this is the mindset that I'm in right now. Is I just watched uh, the new Spider-Man movie, all about the multiverses. I haven't. I and have not I'm seen not, it. Please don't talk about I'm the not, whole thing. No, no spoilers <laughs> at all. Take your headphones off. But the multiverse is a concept that a lot of different things have taken. You know, right? You know, whatever from, and I feel like this was a bit of a concept of that more than it thought it was because i feel like that's almost more on you though for i i would agree with that i would agree and i would also agree through... with with me not liking this movie as much with the fact that i just hate everything else going on right now in the world my life so, everything so like <laughs> so that's what i was gonna say is that i think will affect much much the way ricky's circumstances affected his reading of highlander which is just pure gold the I think your current circumstances are going to affect the, your viewing of this movie because the movie is designed to either reinforce your natural cynicism sure. or take that and like not it doesn't really give you like here's how to feel better. Right. It's just going uh, the only cure is time. Like it, you're going to have to wait. Yeah. Time and will will I, make it better. I, I, got a, I got a So, huge, so my I got question huge... is. This is, I have a question. You guys are going to hate me for this the, next thing that I'm going to Do say. you think the time travel stuff didn't happen and that he's purely going insane and like 
that's all so the most of the movie is a product of his delusion yeah for the most part i think that it's all his shite that he's maybe he's can predict the future or whatever um but i i also just like can't help but think that this movie is just a a mix of napoleon dynamite and fight club well, it came out before both of those. It came out. I, um, okay. I, I so, get that. I get it came out before. No, I thought. Yeah, whatever. Somebody so, else handle this because I'm going to get too insulted. He's not, he's not predicting the future. Is he not, though? Because he does no. see the bunny with the eye and the, the eye missing with the guy that ran over his chick later on in the movie. Okay. Okay. So that's that Here's would the... be like a predicting something. <laughs> I've right? seen this movie twice in my entire <laughs> life and I feel like I'm going. And one was with really weird cuts to scenes that had no place being in the place that they were in. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's address this in a fair way. Okay. Let's yes, try to be fair about this. Yes. Okay. So Wibbly I wobbly. <laughs> I did not come up, Josh, I did not come up with this explanation. This is a mostly stolen explanation that is like a distillation of what I'm pretty sure is the correct story. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, you don't have to watch the director's cut. You don't have to look anything up. So when Donnie sleepwalks the first time from his bedroom to the road, that creates a parallel Avengers style branching universe, right? Uh, Okay. So, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you if you take that to, if you understand it from that point then at the end what Donnie actually does is goes you know what instead of being depressed and shitty and selfish I'm going to go back to my bed I'm going to die I'm going to save all these other people a lot of hassle and pain and trouble and I'm going to put the timeline back to how it's supposed to be by closing this timelike curve so using the same lens of the MCU's multiverse he created a branch and then pruned it himself when reali- when he realized this is gonna this is gonna create a lot of problems, and that's actually basically the explanation that is given right from by by the director. Sure. So <laughs> there's the primary universe, which is basically the very beginning and the very end of the movie, and that's right. what's reality. Then there's the alternative universe, which Donnie exists in through the most of the movie, but he ends up abandoning this alternative universe to go back to the primary universe where he is dead. Huh. Right. So so he makes the choice knowing, you know, okay, if I go die instead, then none of the pain that has happened since the start of the movie for anyone but me will happen. My mom won't be hurt. My brand new girlfriend won't be hurt. My sister won't be. I mean, like, they'll be the emotionally. The gets back out of jail. Well, so so I do have that question though, Ricky D, as the expert for this movie, when he does that, does the perv get out of jail? Does he get away with it now? Is part of the reading just like, look, you take the good with the bad and he had to weigh those things all as like a full list, like yes, it's not entirely good if I go back and reset the timeline and die, but it's mostly good. So I'm going to do that. Is that your reading of it, Ricky? I think so. It has to that guy has to go free at least temporarily. He might get caught feeling up one of the sparkle motion girls later on. And right. that takes him to jail. But I think in the time being, he is back free, stealing money, doing all that pervy stuff. But also the school hasn't been damaged. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, 
the girl isn't dead. Frank isn't dead. Um, his friend didn't witness a double homicide one night that he didn't want to see. Like, there's a lot of pain that isn't going to happen now because Donnie was just smushed instead of you know so, going through the events mm, of the movie. Okay. So, so to be a hundred percent fair, Josh, <laughs> I think if we're going to use your lens, uh. then we have to. Then we have to say. Basically, the Avengers just did a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. So this is a self-righteous suicide, then, right? Is basically what this movie's all about. Is a uh, some guy that's a, like, oh, down I don't want to like make everyone suicide, feel though. bad, so I'm gonna go back in time and just right. stay in my bed. I think it's. I but think I that's the point. Is that it's not. Go ahead, Meg. Sorry. I'm sorry. It just it didn't feel like a suicide kind of suicidal moment for him or anything like that. He's not like, oh, people are gonna be sad that I. So I'm gonna go and let myself. But from what I understand, like there's a black hole and a paradox being created by this timeline. And he goes back and makes that sacrifice to save his world ends that night. The rest of the world continues to go on because of that. And I think if we're going to look at like, oh, we're going to just view this how we want. (laughs) Sorry, Josh. (laughs) That's fine. You could look at, I mean, you could look at it also like, He's being treated as a hallucinate, a day hallucinating, paranoid, schizophrenic. But if we as the audience are accepting that the bunny is real, everything he is seeing is real, is he actually going crazy? Or is he actually straddling these two different timelines? But I think that's right. what makes us such an interesting movie. And why it's a movie you can watch a lot because there are different facets to interpret it as and discuss as. I don't think it's this self-indulgent masturbatory movie for the director to be like, oh, look at how angsty and sad I am. It's a movie about a teenager and teenagers are selfish and self-centered and angsty as shit. It doesn't matter how long ago it is. So in that case, the tone is perfect. So for me... That's what makes the movie uncomfortable mm-hmm. is how much of yourself you can see in Donnie, right? Mm-hmm. Is you're like, oh, I used to be that way a little bit, didn't I? Like, oh, it's so I was, cringy to think about. Yeah, I was surly <laughs> and I would say things like, well, then why don't you take the pills? Like, well, the answer is because I'm not, you know, prescribed sort of those pills by insane. a medical professional <laughs> like you are. So, and it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it, I, it's understandable how you would feel isolated and alone. Um, but that doesn't mean everything is awful and that you are isolated and alone. I mean, Donnie knows logically that he is not isolated and alone. He says that as much to his therapist. And he just says, you know, it's it's hard to see the evidence. But he doesn't say there is no evidence or, or something along those lines because his mother touches his face and he, you can see in Jake Gyllenhaal's just endless eyebrows that, he knows she loves him and that he is causing her pain. And despite that, he still has to ask his question in such a whiny way. And it's like, we'll get to that. I promise that we will get to that. So I think to Shark Fillet's question in the live chat, did Donnie know he was going to die? I (laughs) I think Donnie knew that he would die. I mean, he knew he would die because he knew that what was going to happen was that plane engine was going to fall into his room where he was supposed to be. Now, Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D as the standard bearer for this movie, here comes a question. Now that Donnie has closed the time-like loop, 
and sacrificed himself, resetting the timeline and keeping all of the people on that plane safe. Where did the engine come from? <laughs> like, it's the classic paradox problem, right? If John Connor goes back in time and, uh, or if the Terminator goes back in time and kills John Connor, then he'll never be born. But if he sends his son back in time, then he will be born. But if his son is also his father, then there's a pro. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, so maybe maybe anybody anybody well, yeah, that can answer if, that or if Aaron Kevin in Bacon the live doesn't chat. go to jail, then uh, Miss Pris Bible Thumper doesn't have to send Lady Darko on the mission to take the Sparkle Crew to the dance off. Correct. Not that that means any. Not that that means the plane's not gonna like whatever. But but so my question is. Does the plane not crash now because there's no longer a wormhole? Like, is that See, did he okay. did, by closing the time like loop? Does he just eliminate the wormhole completely? And then the reason that the um, engine is called an artifact is because it's the only thing left over from that timeline. I would say that uh, the unidentified plane engine was in the alternative universe. We didn't get to see an explanation for the fallen plane engine in the primary universe. So it's possible that if the movie continued on after Donnie Darko died, all of the like FAA guys that were there investigating everything, they might have a better answer for where that engine came from in the primary universe. Can I just say, I just really want to get drunk and talk about time travel theories with you guys. Cause I have a <laughs> lot of thoughts. <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> Maybe that should be. Job. Our, our next bonus episode. Um, let's see. Sudden but impossible. Hey, when, when Jesse and Ricky leave, you and I can stick around and talk time travel. Just, and uh, and just talk out. about the different theories. <laughs> and, it, and it will not be live because we need to figure out a way to like paywall that or something. I'm just kidding. We don't paywall anything here at Sudden But Inevitable. <laughs> paywall. Not yet. Except, of course, our very fine merchandise, which you can find online. It is very nice. Um, but yeah, so it, there's there's so many things about this movie. Like to Meg's point, it kind of makes you go, "Let's just talk about this one aspect of this movie for the rest of the night." You could do that with so many different pieces of this movie. You guys, let's just talk about the Frank the Bunny mask for the rest of the night. Let's just talk about how great the characters were. Yeah, let's just talk about the Sparkle Motion Woman, Kitty <laughs> Farmer, is. Think Amazing. about that name. And she's my she dad in wash like over you. form. Kitty Farmer. Yes, she's a kitty. Yeah, she Kitty Farmer, and she's getting girls close to a pedophile. Like, come on, it's and, it's not and subtle. Screaming <laughs> about God the entire way. I feel like we need to have all the trigger warnings. <laughs> right. Well, and but but she that actress. She is so good. If you've never seen this movie before, you might recognize this actress as Dwight's former babysitter slash current lover from the United States version of The Office. Um, she is also the mother of Mary Chifo, who played Laurel, the, the queen of Klingons in the first two seasons of Star Trek Discovery. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, it is the it is the coolest family, the most talented family. She's a lady in Ricky. speed too. She's the one with the yeah. Purse. She's one of the bus <laughs> riders. <laughs> yeah. She's the one who ruins it with her yeah, purse. Yeah, with her stupid yeah. purse. She's Beverly in the Mindy Project, and I actually interviewed her for about an hour for an old podcast that I was nice. doing about the Mindy Project. No and she is just the 
the nicest, sweetest, like most genuine woman ever. Like I was interviewing her and she's like, sorry, I'm in my car. I got to run and do some errands. And like, we were just chatting and um, she plays some of the most terrible characters like just terrible human beings. She was like a she's really X Files, and I think she was a monster in X Files. She and was a really just... wretched pageant, uh, a pageant official in always. No, sorry, in Little Miss Sunshine. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. See, and so it's Jenkins. almost like this movie was the start of that typecasting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so our friend Shark Filet in the chat says, "I feel like Donnie wouldn't have known whether to believe he was going to die. I guess it also bears in mind questions of fate and free will. That's actually a good point, and that's kind of what." Noah Wiley was avoiding talking about him with because he goes, what if you travel on God's channel? And Noah Wiley goes, well, I'm a high school science teacher, so I can't talk to you about that. Um, have a good day, Mr. Darko. Um, and to that school, point, though. we don't, well, but to the point, we don't see um, the spear, right? We don't see Donnie's spear for that sequence where he decides to go back home. All we see is him go sit up on the mountaintop and see this wormhole forming over his house which just reinforces to him, like, you know, maybe the answer to that question, Shark Filet, is some percentage of fate and then, like, some wiggle room in there. Because, as Noah Wiley was saying, if we could see that spear, then ostensibly, just by seeing it, you have been given the choice to not follow it, right? So well, and at I that think time, that's a good point. At that time, like, he's seeing the vortex over his family's house, and we hear Gretchen's words from that she said previously, talking about if you could change like bad memories or something for somebody, wouldn't you do it? And is, and he's looking at her and then we see everything kind of rewind. And he, when he makes that choice that he's going to basically stay in bed. <laughs> yeah. I And I agree. The spear is a good source of tension and I am going to have to agree with Mal. Mal makes a good point. Maggie's amazing. You guys are and you guys are gonna I'm not gonna be able to leave my office. I know her head's gonna be so My big glorious hair is gonna Meg, be you kinda suck. Like... Can't get her headphones off. <laughs> Let me just deflate you a little bit. I'm just gonna be like See, Josh Josh is committed to not enjoying this film or the discussion of it. Josh is the cringy version of Donnie Darko in this movie. He's like, Ooh, I'm gonna be mad. I'm just messing. I know that's not what you're doing. Correct. Now, this this whole but it is fair because they these are the professional critical readings of this movie, right? Half the people are like, this movie is really interesting. It's uplifting in a sort of interesting kind of dark sort of way, and it you know is reinforcing some positive things for sure. And then there are also critics that are like, it's just a guy who thinks he's special and he's not. Um, but. I feel like those people are missing the point of the movie because we have all experienced thinking we are special and finding out we are not. Like, it, and I don't mean to tell people that they're not special because I know, you know, at this point in my life that there is something that makes every individual special in their own way. But I'm not going to tell you that you're special in a way that means you don't have to exist within the society that we all live in. And that's the part that really hurts. Like, I... I I totally get the pain that that sort of a, a realization or understanding can cause. And I think that that's part of the point of this movie. Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D. What do you got? Well, I know you didn't want to say it, but I'll go ahead and go there. None of you are special. None of you mean anything. <laughs> I'm so You might as well give up. I was thinking the same thing, but I'm already on the like hate train right now that I didn't want to like <laughs> just 
stoke more colon that but i'm a creep by the way guys my brain is so foggy right now i keep saying things like stoke more coal in the fire i'm just oh but like here's but that's That's but that's kind of my point is like the movie has both realities in it and and it's not this movie doesn't sit here and tell us this is the valid way to feel or this is the valid way to feel it says these are some ways that you will feel and again it it really does get simple and it's explained in a convoluted timey-wimey way but it really does boil down to time is the only thing that will heal all wounds i would love to take a moment to say hello to our friend roy the intrepid dm in the chat i'm here to support the show but i haven't seen the movie so i'm not going to spoil it yeah you should dip Roy. Well, you've never seen donnie darko I could We're sw- like an hour in. How the could discussion. you have gone this long in your so, life yeah. and not seen? <laughs> Who does that? Only terrible people. I, wait, I, ha- I have something for this. I have to. <laughs> Shut up, Meg. <laughs> no one's ever he's said been... that to me before. <laughs> I'm sure he's been waiting. I've been all waiting night. all night. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm sure he's been waiting all night. That's the you only feel, one and only good? time, though. One and only. Don't worry. He, that's it. That's it. We had an interesting discussion in the. Uh, Twist My Arm podcast network group chat this week uh, surrounding Schadenfreude um, <laughs> and how I don't maybe this isn't maybe this isn't a conversation we should have. Um, <laughs> no, it, it's just it's now, about no, now it, you, you know have to. <laughs> it's the well it's if, if you're not familiar it's the concept of deriving uh, pleasure from another's misery. Uh, Ricky had made a snarky comment. He sent us a photo of a uh, vehicle with no wheels. And was like, haha, something I have uh, pleasure Other from people's this person's misery. Pain brings me joy. Right. <laughs> and uh, I said something about, oh, Schadenfreude. And he was like, no, because just shame isn't involved in this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, I... so I screenshotted the definition and sent it to him. We... This is how fun our, our chat is. Point being, I think it's interesting that we had that discussion right before this movie, where it's like, okay, there's definitely suffering in this movie. Uh, Certain characters are given agency to avert or eliminate that suffering entirely and then make a series of decisions of whether or not to do that. So I just thought it was interestingly fitting that we had that discussion right before we watched Donnie Darko and that we came out on the other side of it with Josh going, I hate this movie and all of you, <laughs> and Ricky going, this movie is a masterpiece, and me going like, oh, good for Donnie, you know, I'm glad that he helped out that whole primary universe there. Like... It really does illustrate the spectrum of experiences you can have with Donnie Darko. I mean, this, this is a pretty simple. I mean, I don't. I don't. It's not a simple movie. It's a. It's a. What's the word I'm no, looking for? I feel for? like most it's people a, at the. It's a quick little fun movie. When this movie right? first came out, I feel like a lot of people had no idea what was actually going on. They would finish this movie and be like, "Wait, what just happened?" And I, mean, I will say that the Matrix, the happened? original Matrix, had recently come out, so like the whole reality bending thing was sort of in the zeitgeist anyway, yeah. and people could probably get through some of the layers in this. And Go also, ahead. part of the reason this movie kind of grew as big as it did over time is because people were sharing it with their friends, watch and it talking people, about yeah. it, yeah, and just going, okay, here's what I think is going on, here's some of the subtle things that are going on behind it, and it it's a movie that really generates discussion. No way, no. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about it, right? That's and correct. And it makes you feel a way. It makes you feel multiple ways. Like I said, when there at alternate points throughout the movie, I was like, oh, I'm you know, totally on Donnie's side. I know what he's feeling. I feel bad for the kid. And at other points, I was like, stop talking like that, man. And like, 
really get your hand out of your pants like you're in public this is so weird like i just it but that's the point of his character is that he's ultra cringe and he represents that part of all of us that was ultra cringe when we were kids well and i feel like there there's something and like i didn't watch this as a teenager i feel like i really would have hated this movie if i saw it as a teenager (laughs) Because Ricky D would have been cramming it down your throat. No, because (laughs) it's like, I feel like me as a teenager watching this kid, uh, watching Donnie Darko would have been like, just shut up. Oh my (laughs) God, you pretentious asshole. Like, I feel like that's just kind of where I was is as a teenager. But I feel like a lot of teens, especially teens who were outsiders or teens who are dealing with mental health issues, especially, or even people who, Mental health obviously plays a prominent part in this, and the way mental health was dealt with in the eighties and nineties plays a and so many part. different mental healths too. You have like yes. the the Donnie Darko depressed kind of I don't know what would you say like schizophrenia. schizophrenia. There you go, and then you have yeah. the crazy religious lady that is like mm-hmm. she's got an addiction. She doesn't like really know it, but that addiction to religion is crazy. And then the mother who is just like mentally disassociated with everything and i don't like, feel like rose is mentally disassociated I, with everything I feel, well i feel like she but was I with a few like, things feel, at least and especially I, at the I end when you like, see her just smoking a cigarette after she found out her son died that's she was, just like, she was dissociated with everything but her kids yeah in my opinion yeah and i can see that but i feel like so i feel like his parents were kind of an exception to the rule as far as mental health goes in the eighties, especially (laughs) because they, they didn't ship him off. They didn't just be like, well, you're too much work. You're too much to deal with. Um, You're not worth our time, which was something that happened a lot. Mm -hmm. And my viewing on Donnie Darko when I was that age, um, because of my own personal circumstances, would have felt very differently than I do now. I would not have identified him, identified with him at all at that age. And I still don't identify him with him because I'm 37 years old and he's like a 15, 16 year old kid, but I can empathize with what he's going through because I've learned so much more about mental health and about the, the business of mental health and can appreciate kind of what he is going through, how his family is reacting, and how society that he is in is reacting to his either his, his perceived mental health issues. Because if we're going with the the timeline thing, and Frank is actually really there and he's not losing his mind by having all these hallucinations, it doesn't matter. The his society is perceiving him that way. Or if we're going by this is all just a complete mental break before he dies. It's the same thing. So I feel like right. I, I feel like it's six of one, a half dozen of the other. But to say that he's just like this cringe jerk character with no redeeming qualities, I feel like is really kind of dismissive. I, that is dismissive, and I will clarify. How I dare you say that that's what he was, and I did not reduce him to only his cringe. I was merely pointing out that I think part of what makes him relatable is the cringe aspects oh, yeah. of his personality, because it. We all have had moments where we're like, I, that was stupid. I should have said literally anything else. I should have had a different attitude for whatever reason, like a million reasons, right? And 
and I, I really appreciate your points though, Meg, because I think the mental health part of this is the part of it that I connected with this time because I've been, I, I feel like it's almost, um, it's not unique to me, of course, but I feel like almost everybody on my Twitter timeline and a lot of my social medias lately is like, I feel like I've been great for the last two years and now I'm not great. Like, um, is, is that happening to anybody else? And there's a ton of people going, yes, that's totally me. I feel like maybe now burnout is finally hitting me. Um, so I was in that headspace going into this movie of like, you know, I, you know, we haven't done a show in a while. Let's watch this for the show. There's always something different when you have to watch, when you have to watch a movie for a thing you want to make. Right. Um, and I was not in a great headspace. So I was like, you know, whatever. Okay, let's watch Donnie Darko. And then I started getting really cynical because the movie lends itself to that. And then I was watching it on Tubi, which is the worst streaming service I've ever used in my whole life. Like, we, when we watched Slither, we talked about how they didn't put the commercial breaks when it would fade to black. Tubi, same problem. Mm -hmm. This movie fades to black like every 20 minutes and you didn't put a single ad break there. You just put it in the middle of it. The last one I'm pretty sure came right after the final title card for the last day. Like it was like, here's the final day, the part where it shows what would happen if Donnie gave himself up and reset the timeline. Then it played an ad. My, my last ad was like, on Amazon was right before... Um, I don't even remember uh, uh, Donnie's girlfriend waves at his mom on the last scene. It's like they, yeah. well, while she's talking to that little kid, they finish their conversation. The mom and, and girl look at each other, add, and then back to movie, they wave, credits. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I literally had two commercials. Huh. I, that is all really? I had. Yep. Huh. I had several commercials and the commercials weren't super invasive. Like it's, Watching that movie, I feel like with commercials at all is really kind of messes with the flow of the movie. Yeah. I feel like it changes yeah. the mood and it makes it a lot more difficult to kind of really get involved in the story. Um, but my issue with I was watching it on the Roku channel the first time, and the scene where he's ranting and Gretchen in like the field and Gretchen's telling him to calm down, that scene got put in the movie in four different random places. And oh, I was like, and something I was, was like, wrong with your stream. This movie is so confusing. Why it's do we? It's already a movie what? about time travel. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. Is and when with what this movie is about, I was like, is is there something really important happening in this scene that I need to be paying attention? Like, is there something change? Oh, poor fabulous Meg. Oh I am gosh. so sorry. That is insane. I'm glad I wow. watched it again <laughs> because I'd have been like, what's with this scene, guys? And you'd be like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. That's yes. Thank you, Carla, the other half of Bedwed Behead, for providing the ability for you to watch that again. That wow, that's, that's brutal. it was. It was very weird. I, I wow. I yeah, I. There's so much in this movie that we could talk about, and I feel like what we should do next is I'll just give you each a moment to talk at length because that's what I do. I talk at length. Um, you don't say. No way. But I will say, Josh, <laughs> that. Don't give this in to me. I need you're to wondering... take a break for a second. Don't give me the minute. Give Ricky the minute. No, I won't give you. I won't give it to you first. <laughs> I will say the reason that Donnie is so negative and whiny is because he has a pretty uh, good feeling that the world is going to end for most of the movie. So, well, the rabbit tells that him. That kind of explains, right? That's what I'm saying. So the people are like, "Hey, man, you can't live in fear," and he's like. If you were paying attention, you would be terrified too, which is a great allegory for everything else going on in the movie, the whole Dukakis thing, all the politics, the 80s, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But 
I'm just throwing that out there as maybe something to let you soften on the movie a little bit while you take your quick. Break. Oh no! I mean, look so. again. The the first time I watched it, I was today. I was very sober and very like angry at things because of everything that's happened. Like not just over the last couple of days, but over the last couple of months. And so I was just watching this movie with such disdain. Because you know how it is when you wake up in the morning and you're already in a bad mood. And you're like, yeah. fuck all of this. And so, <laughs> Especially this movie that gives you justification to revel in those yeah, feelings. And so I, the, the movie is like, dude, it's justifiable. Dude. So yeah, but the second time I watched it, I did... Like, I was I was texting you guys all day today. And like when I, when I texted you, <laughs> I don't really hate this movie that much. That was the second time I'd watched it. Because I had already... Yeah. You know, taking my medication or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and uh, it, it valid point. There's, though. you know, after calming down a little bit, um, I definitely see a lot of the good of this movie. But again, it's just not it's just not my favorite. It's not something that I'm going to be like, hey, I need you to watch this movie because I feel like you're, you know, it's not something I want to watch. It's with okay, somebody. We, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want have... to make somebody think. Especially in 2021, right. 2022. But we have a Donnie Darko know. evangelist with us, so it's okay. And I totally, totally feel yeah. But again, it's totally fair. I don't, I don't really <laughs> hate this movie. I just, I see a lot of, I don't know, similarities between other things. It just kind of make it turns me off a little bit. And then remembering when I watched it, um, when I was younger, and who I watched it with, and where I watched it, and the place I was in when I watched it, like. And the people, like, I imagine the people I watched, I mean, the people I watched it with were probably, like, Ricky. Just, like, you have to watch this movie. Watch it right now. You're coming over, and you're going to watch it, and you're going to like it. And we're going to watch it again if you don't like it. And I'm going to explain the whole movie to you. <laughs> and if you still don't like it, we're going to watch the director's cut. And then if you don't like it, then, I don't know, I'm going to have to kill you. Then we can't this be friends. This is like my kid with Riverdale right now, if I'm being totally honest. So, watch it, Mom. Watch it. Now, <laughs> I have to point out, there's a comment in the live chat from Mal that says, I appreciate Tubi. Um, that's fair. I get it. It's free. They actually do really have some good stuff on yeah. there. I, as soon as I was done watching this, I deleted the app from my PlayStation. I was so mad. And so like <laughs> to Josh's point, all of the cynicism that he brought into the movie, I didn't experience until partway through when the ad started. And then I was like, oh, this is where I'm going to pour my energy because F this, like, this is the firstiest worldiest problem ever. <laughs> and I am so upset about it and it seems like because it is a such a trivial thing it seems like it would be a good place to channel my anger um so i think that actually really helped me so thank you Tubi, for sucking and actually having a pretty good um you know selection of stuff they actually have the original cowboy bebop anime on there uh subtitled if if you don't have access to netflix for whatever reason um callie is correct i rage quit Tubi. just it's true just hire a new editor who puts commercials in the natural place that commercials should belong like it's not yeah i mean it's on. an algorithm or they don't write hire an anybody. algorithm that goes <laughs> i know right yeah write an algorithm that goes black this screen. is what an there, automated an world ad. looks like guys yep. <laughs> i would think but it's bullshit we are better at what automation than this meg that's what i'm saying so now i will Come point on, out elon make us the one part of this movie algorithms or something mr musk before before we give everybody their moment to speak at length, I will ask, why is this janitor in this movie unnecessarily cartoonish? Is it casual racism? Uh, because yes. that, I think it was the only moment in the movie where I was like, what is going Ling on? Ling Ling is this didn't, happening? Uh... 
well, spark your racism dude, rage? <laughs> as a kid, no, because as a kid that went to school in the late 90s, early 2000s, that's the kind of stuff we had in school. Your math book was like Horatio and Lingling went to this prom together but they only had $60 for ticket like it would they would do that because it was a it was an overcorrection to attempt uh I representation didn't even think about right that. that's you're not wrong so how terrible it's, yeah, it's like it was dead like, on it's it was this, bad yeah but, but to me the only place where it was like jarring was with the janitor because I was like wow yeah like the I mean the janitor was almost a cartoon like it and was, the only it was black person in the entire movie yeah yeah, that was that was icky. That was uncomfortable. Do better, Donnie Darko, but it's okay. You're never gonna get remade. Use that probably. Use that wormhole so. to go back. Oh yeah, use the wormhole to fix. It. Go back, remake the movie, shot for shot, but without those sequences with the janitor, and then just call it the new director's cut. <laughs> it's gonna be. I the next was gonna say add runner. just more general representation at all, but you know that or or well, cut, yeah. cut them out. <laughs> uh, yeah. I did appreciate that they showed the um, the Hispanic girl to seem to be unintelligent, she's but it was Asian. like, no, she just, she speaks. Oh, is she Asian? I thought she had a Hispanic accent. She, are we talking about the the little adorable Charita girl? Chen. Yes, Chen. Yes. Chen. Oh, okay. She's half Japanese. Okay, Chen, there you go. I did I did not look up her, her character's name, uh, but I appreciated that they, they gave that like, Oh, she's unintelligent, right? Because she doesn't speak English. That's the bully perspective. And they're like, no, she's very talented. That she just, you know, she's not always paying attention to reality because reality kind of sucks. She's got her headphones on, so she's not, or her earmuffs rather, so she's not hearing all of the barbs constantly. So maybe she's not hearing her mispronunciation. She also right? seems but really then when important she sings, to the whole it's movie because like, she's always there. Like all these important beats happen, right. and she's always yep. there. But I don't know. She is. Because, again, I've seen this movie twice. Only one time for right. real. <laughs> so there in the in the context of the book that Donnie reads, she is one of the people in that list of people. There's like the manipulated dead, the manipulated living, mm-hmm. uh, the artifact, the, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I don't, I, I, to answer your question, I don't know which category she falls under. But you're right that she is important in the actual time travel scheme. Um, and she is gifted hope from Donnie in the end. Uh, thank you, Aaron. Um, but yeah, and she seems to be gifted hope kind of more than once by Donnie throughout the movie because he's like, dude, just... <laughs> like, w- the casual douchery is so, like, over-the-top but realistic in this movie, like, of kids in high school, right? Where it's like they would take every opportunity to be a douche or to think that they're smarter than other people. It's like, it's it's on thick, but it's not too thick because it's realistic. That's one <laughs> like, of the first things I want to talk about is those weird bully characters. Go ahead, Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D. Yeah, normally I love Seth Rogen, but in this movie, I think he had two lines. The first one was, I like your boobs. <laughs> he shouted he that at Gretchen. Uh, and then when they were in the like therapy class, he goes, didn't like your stepdad stab your mom a bunch of times it's like those guys are so evil the other one i can't remember what his name was ronald i think but those two kids existed like those are kids you knew in school how many kids did you know in school that were holding a knife to kids throats in the bathroom holding a knife to their throat no but i'm talking about the 
the Seth Rogen character saying the most effed up thing he can yeah. based on what he heard about somebody's past. Like that is all these common. kids were assholes. Pretty yeah, much. the other guy. Right. Like just, honestly, like... there were like three good ones in the whole bunch. <laughs> Throw the yeah. rest of them away. I just want to hang out with Drew Barrymore. But the other guy, like <laughs> he was holding a knife to uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's throat in the bathroom, and then he pulls a knife on somebody later on in the movie, and that was. Yeah. There were a couple it things was... that were just kind of over the top, and yeah, it's 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 yeah, but but I think. For me, the violence that 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 character was doing was the only thing that was over the top. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the yeah. Re- the rest of it was believable. So, um, did you have anything else to uh, step on before we give Meg the spotlight, Ricky? And then we will move on to our weekly segments. Yeah. Uh, so there was some really good dialogue in this movie. Uh, before everything started, Meg brought up one of my favorite little jokes. Uh, they said there were feces all over the school. <laughs> What are feces? Baby, Baby mice. Aw. Uh, there was. I know from our experience watching Slither that Ricky D likes a good word substitution oh, joke. So much. Uh, there was also the Smurfette conversation that really had no <laughs> point in the movie, but it was just the glorious. Cool Smurfs. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about wanting to me, that was the that was the the single most like I think I'm smarter than other people part of the movie where the director was like I'm the only person that would phrase it like this well like, his friend on, was dude. like why you always gotta like be so smart about it or whatever <laughs> Smurfette doesn't fuck yeah. like that was beautiful <laughs> uh, bumper sticker hashtag <laughs> <laughs> hashtag uh, and then just uh, I really liked the fear versus love thing that was it was so simple, and it, there's so many people that really believe that a good life is as simple as looking at everything with love and uh, you know, just avoiding any kind of cynicism or deeper thought. And uh, Kitty Farmer just, she really embodied that just kind of type of person who's kind of born on third base, but mm-hmm. uh, just thinks that all you have to do is believe in good things and you'll have a good life Uh, i thought that was a really poignant part of the movie well and she also is the kind of person that a thinks she is better than other people and b that bad things only happen to bad people because when you know her idol gets taken to jail she's like now obviously that's not true it's a conspiracy and i have to go to the arraignment to defend him it's like (laughs) You just made like four leaps in logic yeah. in, in the span of like fourteen the judge seconds. Like, That's impressive. Oh, Kitty you know? Farmer says he's okay. Just... Right then, She's then it should be fine. The coach of Sparkle Motion. I can't go against her. Yeah, it's there are some gems in this movie, and we will get there, you guys. I promise. That's why we're doing a podcast about it. So, um, is there anything else, topic wise, Ricky, that you feel like you have to bring up before we give Meg a chance? I think I'm good to go. All right, Meg, as the prettiest guest we hey. have on the screen. <laughs> you're not a guest. You're a fixture. Sorry. I, I mean, I don't mean to indicate that you're furniture. I just mean you're always I feel here. like this just tells this means that you should invite me more. No. <laughs> you know that I have no problem inviting it's you. Josh. It's Josh. It's, it's these two I have to convince. I'm like, you guys, I know, but she's never seen the movie. So just... Every time Jesse says he wants to have Meg on, I go, what if we got Carla instead? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't even 
blame you. I'd see because her head she's deflating. amazing. So. <laughs> Ricky is spitting fire tonight. Hot fire. Um, Mal asks, did he say born on third base? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Mal, that is a term indicative of somebody who did not have to work hard in life to be considered successful. Um, which I think is from is what the fifties, probably something like that. Old man. Uh, my first encounter with it was probably <laughs> contemporaneous with my first encounter of Donnie Darko. I think I first heard the term "born on third base" on a show called Loveline on the radio. Oh, okay, okay, that might that might be where I first we heard that. that show. Um, Megan from the Bedwed or Behead podcast. <laughs> Is there anything else about this movie you feel like, okay, we have to discuss this before we move on? Well, I think it's touching on the fear love spectrum and the cult that. <laughs> oh my God, Mal, I love you so much. Who's on I wish that I Born on Mal. Third Base was an Abbott and Costello bit. That would be great. That's a... Ricky D is not nearly that classy, no, but a... thank I you. Wish. <laughs> I need to say. <laughs> Uh, the whole fear love spectrum that whole like cult like mentality uh, especially watching it now in, in, in these times really hit me I think a lot different <laughs> than it would have and say, say I don't know six years ago <laughs> seven um, yeah and the idea that fear and love like when Donnie's sitting there yelling at Kitty Miss Farmer who by the way is the worst gym teacher yeah. you'd think she'd be the music teacher or i i don't even know why is she a teacher what i, I she's transcends yeah. the parent and teacher <laughs> the pta bridge but, uh, oh, what an awful thing to say oh, she's the she's, <laughs> yeah. she's the worst but the whole idea that fear and love are opposite ends of the spectrum and fear is like this useless emotion when fear is what we we have to have fear to keep us alive it's important and the cult that surrounds jimmy cunningham and we can kind of see it seep in this entire community which i'm sorry is a upper middle class white suburban community with their private school born on third base is absolutely like they are so privileged (laughs) They're just the whole community feels in my mind, like completely divorced from reality, both in 1988 and now. And her rant about wanting to ban books because of a short story about teenagers. Kitty far. Okay. Kitty farmer is an amazing character. I I hate her so much. Yeah. Like, I hate her so much. She is like the dance mom before there were dance moms, as well as farming children for a pedo. And then she is so devoted to him. And I don't even know if it's so much devotion to him or not willing to not being able to admit her own culpability in what he actually is. Because to agree that he is this monster, she has to come to terms with the fact that she facilitated that that she earned her name yeah yeah i and that your phrasing there meg of divorced from reality i mean that it pretty thick metaphor right yeah. they're on a universal tangent yes. uh closed loop that are yeah i know you did because you're a professional <laughs> podcaster and and everybody in this movie bucks. 
you could argue that the movie is just a series of coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't it it does definitely declare which it feels are the most valid of those. Um, but it does also go to the trouble to show you that there are multiple coping mechanisms yes. for the same issue. Um, the the That's a, yeah, I would agree with Shark. The Requiem for a Dream equals the facilitation. <laughs> Have you guys seen Requiem for a Dream? Right. Yeah, Ooh, it was so it was long. It's a been a long time. We should do that for the next um, one. Another no. feel good. Fortunately, no. it's not sci-fi, no. so we don't have to. But Meg, if you'd like to cover it on bed, wet, or behead, oh, yeah, we could do the three junkies in that movie. <laughs> See, who do you want to? <laughs> you want to play FMK with the three junkies and the, or the two junkies and the mom from Requiem for no, a Dream? We're you guys. We're gonna do the mummy again and talk about Imhotep. <laughs> no. Oh man! And an accident. If you if you haven't. If you haven't, go listen to the Bedwed Behead episode about the mummy because Ricky D and I were there and it was a lot of fun. And I was a total wet blanket um, the entire time. We didn't like everyone Which is, you know, fun, Ricky D. Completely outside will. of the norm. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, to, to Megan's point about the divorced reality, everybody is using different coping mechanisms to stay divorced from their reality or to stay close to it if they can. Um, the, the mother is definitely trying to stay close to the reality of her children in her life. She's being told stuff that sounds like sci-fi nonsense to her by this doctor, and she goes, hey, if whatever you think is good, let's do that. Like, I, I just want my kid back. That's Whatever we gotta do is fine, you know? I read that so and, differently. That's really interesting. And Donnie, well, I... To me, you could tell that she really wanted Donnie to be happy. And that's where her pain came from is because she knew he wasn't going to be happy. Like, and it was going to be his own, you know, disposition keeping him from enjoying life. And that's got to be hard for her. And I, so we'll get to it when we get to that conversation. But she's got, you know, her red wine constantly. She's smoking. Um, The other, the dad is like just not paying attention to a lot of stuff. Like he's ignoring a lot of stuff. I did really like that. Um, when they had everybody, all the guys were in the living room watching football. Um, the kid suggested a stupid thing. He was like, what they need to do is go for a safety. And I feel like the adults in the room properly were like, okay, you can't just go for a safety. Like that's a situational thing that you have to be lucky enough to be ready for it to happen. Like anyways, I thought they properly derided that kid, which was like a, a nice little moment of uh, of world building, I guess. Um, but yeah, a lot of paracausal stuff in this movie. Um, paracausal boning. <laughs> um, I just there's, it, it, you know, everything is is all about the time and coping and pain and the ups and downs of life and how those things can sometimes feel simultaneous and cyclical and circular. I mean the movie does those metaphors pretty well, I think. Um, before we move into our segments, Josh, is there anything you feel like you absolutely have to say about this movie? Nah. Nah, I think I'm good. <laughs> um, I mean, right. yeah, it's, it is it is what it is. It's, it's a movie that, I don't know, I feel like 90% of the world really loves this movie. Um, but I think it's... I think it's closer to 86%. It's got some pretty good audience scores yeah. and stuff like that, but you're right. It's very it's, well liked. It is it's very it is well liked. liked. And it is it is a fine movie, but it's just, you know, it's not my favorite. It's not something that I'm going to go back and watch over and over and over again or even introduce to people. It's not, you know, I'm, it's not the first movie that I go, hey, have you watched Donnie Darko? No, uh-uh. No, that's not me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so. That's okay. 
I get it. I get I get the obsession and I understand the like yeah. the love for this movie and and everything that goes into this movie. Man, the soundtrack to this movie is top fucking oh, notch. Like so everything good. about this soundtrack. And I actually did some research and I'm pretty sure that they didn't play other than the new version of um the theme song Mad, Mad World. World. I think all the other songs are mm-hmm. uh time specific. I I could be wrong. I could be wrong there, but I'm Oh like from yeah, the 80s, I'm pretty sure that all the music they played that were artists and stuff are that. from that time period. They didn't play something from the late 90s in a movie set in 88. You know what I mean? And I, right. I appreciate that kind of thing. Um, so I I that's probably my my favorite part of this movie is is the music and, and even yeah. even the orchestral part of it and the yes um the, the classical part of it was was very ominous and really played a a big part in the feeling of this movie and how you watched it and perceived it. Um, and, and that again is, is my absolute favorite part. Mad world, that recreation of mad world is one of the best covers of, oh, yeah. of all so time. Um, and then, you know, they, the intro song is brilliant. I, I really enjoy that, that, that song as well. When he picks up his bike and starts riding down and it's that like, I can't even remember what the song is, but again, there are really good parts of this movie. It's just not my favorite. And I, I respect I, I respect everyone's opinions. And I and I, you know, people love what they love, and that's that's great. Um, but again. I'm actually really grateful that we have you because I didn't I we watch a lot of really great stuff here at Sun But Inevitable. So there's a lot of episodes of our show where nobody is like, I didn't like this thing about it. There are a lot of episodes that are all positivity. And it's not like because we're trying to be unrealistic. I just think it's because we generally enjoy most of the stuff. So I think it's good to have some stuff that subjectively you don't appreciate and some stuff that subjectively Ricky doesn't appreciate. Like that's kind of the whole point of our show. And and like I say, I know that you always come by your feelings on these things from an honest place. And that's the most important part of it to me. Really quickly, I'm going to say... Thank you for showing up, Mal. Have a wonderful night. Thank you for being here. You are just... I've i have been in a lot of live chats with you, and I never have failed to have a good time. And I know that uh, Meg really appreciates the support. And I know that Aaron from It's a Fandom Thing really appreciates the viewership, because that's usually where I run into you, because that's <laughs> where Meg is. So... Um, it's where my hair is. All right. She really just follows There's... the hair. <laughs> There's so much in this movie. There are so many little pieces of nuance and detail, and you know, you know, can you read it yes, this way? Yes, Killing Moon by way? Echo There's and so the many things. Thank you, thank you, Aaron. That's that's ah yes. Yeah. So now, but to Josh's point, the orchestral pieces of the score in this movie, I think, are the might be the most paranoid score I've ever heard in my life. Like it really makes the music is what makes the un, the discomfort real mm-hmm. in this movie for me, and it's deeply impressive um we 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 could probably talk about that for another hour but let's not do that we'll, Instead, we'll leave that to the experts in measuring the score to talk about that i'm saying <laughs> you should tell them to talk about that because the music is so <laughs> important to this challenge movie. number two <laughs> i'm sorry you guys i don't mean to keep issuing challenges it's on josh <laughs> maybe i'll have him dm you so um, here at Sudden But Inevitable, we have some weekly segments that we do, and I am not going to lie, I have a ton of fun with you guys every time we do the weekly segments. It makes us feel like a grown-up show to me, and I know that we're not, so that's kind of the fun part. So, 
for the first of those weekly segments this week, let's do, um, you know what? Let's do a little thing that I like to call Shot of the Show. Shot of the Show, as you know, is where we share our favorite visual moments from the movie, the moments that stuck out to us a little bit more than the rest, things that are just stuck living rent-free in our heads from here on out. Now, I believe since we do have a guest and her shot is chronologically first, let's have (laughs) Meg talk about her shot first. Meg, what do you like about this shot? And Josh, if you wouldn't mind giving us the time code on this. It is one minute and 38 seconds. Sorry, let me bring it back up. There it is. Very early into the movie. Yeah, and I promise it's not a cop-out. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it's so early. I don't believe you at all now. Oh, it, but it, it actually isn't. It's one of those things where it's, it is obviously one of the first scenes in the movie. And it just, it honestly took me back a little bit to see this body lying in the middle of the road. And after having watched the movie, it's very foreshadowing because my first thought was, why are you in the middle of the road? You're going to get run over by a car. <laughs> <laughs> it's dangerous boy but it's just i don't know it's like you you pan across these beautiful mountains and this beautiful landscaping and then you go to this body in the middle of the road where with no context or knowledge as to how this person got there or if they're alive and then he like gets up and smiles and bikes home (laughs) and it's just it it really kind of sets the tone i feel like for the whole movie and it does a a good job and i don't know it had to have been fun for the first really like the pick you know fade in body in road body in the road (laughs) yeah now i this is a this is not um an important question but uh ricky d and josh did you guys ever wear pajamas like this when you were in high school i never wore a long shirt pajama in my life and i live in cold cold colorado are you like, talking like long johns um, he's like long pants, pants worn. and the shirt yeah I'll but wear his shirt like pants. i've never worn a long shirt in my life to go to no. sleep ever oh not to go to uh, sleep yeah. i wear those on the day i, mean, I have but not to go to sleep but but meg i you i mean you you probably get cold when it's you know 75 degrees well no you live, live in wisconsin, wisconsin. Right? what are you talking about I, my frame of reference is my wife, who's from California, <laughs> and when it's sixty-eight, she's like, "It's freezing." So I depends. The other day, I was feeling like real shitty, like I had a fever or something, and I <laughs> had some chills, <laughs> some kind of sickness. <laughs> I did wear that to to bed. I wore some long johns to bed because I was really cold. And then I was yeah, really it's hot. seventeen mm-hmm. degrees here right now, and I was Dang. outside without a coat earlier. So yeah. <laughs> No, I did like not. The people I that ride their cold. bikes in shorts in the snow here—it's stupid. Well, I just—I oh, like mom, to sleep I just in the was nude. I, my mom wears flip flops year-round. I'm more concerned with the fact that he's not wearing shoes. With a bike, yeah. I mean, that's going to cut and up. And it's bottom in the of your '80s. Feet, you the know, pedals. they had the really like pokey. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No doubt. this is before. Right when they started introducing the strap versions oh, of pedals, so people were like, "Tough to tough it up, kid." Foot. But then again, back then, a lot of people ran around barefoot anyway because they were, you know, dirty hippies. So I'm sure he did that and his feet were just nice and calloused and he was good to I go. I did right? that too, but I still would never ride one of those bikes without shoes on. But he was sleepwalking. 100%. We later learned. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess he wasn't like making all the decisions on the way to being in the middle of. I would have walked the bike home. Um, <laughs> that's a fair point, Meg. Gotten my um, cell phone. Oh wait. Not where I expected to land with that. Um, chronologically, Josh, can you tell me whose shot is next? It's going to be you at 10 minutes right. and three seconds. Okay, so this is the first time that we see Frank the Bunny. Red flag. There's a <laughs> literal red flag in in the frame with him. But yeah, he is. I mean, Meg makes a good point. Just look at that body. He's got, he's very, Style. he's got the right proportions. He's tall. He's thin. I just want to he's rub his belly. Got that <laughs> brooding half a skull look on his face. Suffer? He's got, he, he so looks this, like he's got a soft chest. So the first, the first time you see this movie, this is the first part of the movie where you go, what the actual F? Like, I'm up, up until this point, I was like, okay, this movie's weird. But then at this point, you're like, I, I have no guess what is going on in this movie the first time you see it. You're like, okay, no frame of reference for anything here. I don't know what this movie's about anymore. And at, you know, the, when you watch back through it, you go, ah, this is Frank is Frank is the kid and he's he's already dead in the real timeline, but he's on this tangent here. So okay, cool. All right, I get it. Frank the bunny, Frank and his father and his father, and it's like that's not because he's like some timekeeping, you know, demigod. It's because a kid was named Frank after his dad. Frank the right? third. Like, I was reading that some yeah, people think that this just guy happens. is God. Think that this, like, what uh, Jake Gyllenhaal sees, what Donnie sees, like, that's God speaking to him. Imagine God being a rabbit. But that's... Oh, think about that. That'd be hilarious. What, you want a carrot? <laughs> but that's a question that Donnie... Donnie poses that question himself. He says, what if I'm traveling on God's channel? Then, I mean, you can't travel on that without being god i wouldn't yeah. think so i think that tracks okay it's a okay. it's a fair theory okay. to talk about i didn't um, i didn't know like, he's also the right on the conclusion was on that just no no theory, you're good you know? well so and so frank here is also on the other side of a trap you know shark, so there's a trap i think god being a koala would be a, um pretty fun you know, chlamydia come That'd on awesome whatever there's shots for that what koalas all have chlamydia Oh, I didn't need to know that at all. But so Frank the Bunny from Donnie Darko, Meg, what are you doing? Is standing behind a literal trap a red flag. and a literal red flag. <laughs> and um, there's no way to recover from that. Josh, who's next? Is it you or Ricky? <laughs> Jesse is so over this conversation right now. He's done. He's like, what is He's happening at this do point? I don't know I how to steer was, back into what I was knowledge. saying. It might well, now it is like, oh, yes, I do watch Star Trek Lower Decks. I just don't. The density of jokes in Star Trek Lower Decks is not equal to Futurama, but is similar to Futurama in that I will not get all of them the first time I, I watch an episode John of John Oliver Decks, has like a koala but... chlamydia clinic name. Oh, that's a that's a. I think you're right. A, that's... A, a, like clinic <laughs> named after him. Sudden but inevitable has. The taught people real knowledge today i think i found I'm gonna tell you right now this uh, is my donnie darko <laughs> <laughs> koalas and chlamydia so at the end of this like a metal band what's up Denver? we're koalas and chlamydia yeah at the end of this podcast meg will have a choice of whether or not to collapse it back in on itself preventing it from ever occurring in the well, first the next, place uh... <laughs> 
the next shot is Ricky at 38 minutes and 17 seconds. All right. This is a really good example of the Kubrick stare, which uh, Jake Gyllenhaal was doing for a significant amount of the movie. Uh, yeah, that's all he did. The main, the main male characters in Stanley Kubrick movies very frequently take this posture. They're kind of leaning forward a little bit, head down, eyes up, straight into the camera, and it's meant to imply that they're at like the peak of derangement. Uh, if you can think of uh, The Shining, you can probably remember Jack Nicholson kind of trudging forward, head up, eyes on the camera, kind of uh, face <gasps> down. And uh, I just, I really like their usage of that for the entire movie. I think Jake Jill. Oh, yeah, sorry, it, go ahead. Just to go back to the Futurama thing, uh, he's forty percent Kubrick stare. He <laughs> did the, but he he does it in a way that again, it's it's the eyebrows, right? This guy yeah. has like eight feet of eyebrows, <laughs> but they're effective, and they in in that they hide ninety percent of his face when he tilts his head at past a certain degree, <laughs> and it's like. It's he's built for this exact shot. Like probably when they wrote this movie and they saw him, they went, "That's the guy." Like that is the only kid who can play the main character in this movie. Now, um, for me, this is one of those points of relatable cringe about Donnie Darko because, like, I remember walking around high school on days that I was feeling <laughs> pissy, looking through the tops of my eyebrows and going, "I'm scary. You better stay away from me." I remember you know, like, that too. In my head, thinking like. I look, I look intimidating, right? But I don't think I've ever looked intimidating in my life. It, I can sound plenty intimidating uh, given the right circumstances, but I don't know that I've ever looked intimidating. So I, I just, I, I really like that pick, and that is actually that's that moment right before he um, encounters Frank in his bathroom on the other other side of the mirror. Good, good pick, Ricky D. Josh, I believe, my friend, that leaves you. Yes, that would be me at 51 minutes and 55 seconds. Um, this is Mini Darko with the Water Temple <laughs> boss from Zelda protruding from her chest. No, um, I. this whole thing, this whole amoeba um, timeline, whatever this is, is the most, for me, it's kind of the most, like, thought-provoking because is this like mm -hmm. is this the timeline they're supposed to be on like this is where they're supposed to go and donnie is seeing the timeline they're supposed to follow like is 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 that yes. what that is because yes yes because that's great but <laughs> but then again is that just a figment of his imagination because he's right whatever whatever um i i i liked this and i liked how they kept this um like amoeba thing going through the whole movie it was just a it was, i don't know i don't know why i don't know why i just enjoyed it my <laughs> if if i could my favorite part of that effect not this particular shot of it but when it happened to him was that he like was excited yeah. like you could see on his face he was like oh, now i'm gonna get to see my future i know where to i know right? what to like follow he, yeah he wasn't like scared or like oh no what's happening he was like oh okay it's the it's their immediate future and that makes sense. Oh, okay, cool. And then, so yeah. So when he goes and he talks to e the ER doctor, he's like, dude, I saw this thing. And he goes, it would look like this. And he goes, yeah, that's what I saw. And then he goes, okay, something's up with this kid. And I got to stop talking to him about uh, philosophy and religion. Yeah. And I, al I almost, I almost picked the shot of Donnie where he was like tripping out when he saw his, 
little line at first because his eyes got all wide and he was so yeah. excited about it. And I, that was cool. Cause I, I like think a brat style. Yeah. And I, I think <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I think most people would be excited to see like, Oh look, that's the path I'm supposed to follow. That's cool. Like, you know, maybe not, but some, some people would. Um, but the point, Josh, is that Noah Wiley tells him, that, like, if you could see that, then you are, you're changing the future because you have the chance. If you can see what that is, then you are ostensibly, automatically have the choice to not follow right. that path. And this is just a physical uh, representation right. of that. I path. do want to agree with Aaron now, because I really like that Nightcrawler movie a lot. Thought it was really good. I really think Jillian Hall, Jake Jillian Hall, was such a great pick for um, Donnie Darko because I think it'd be really hard for a lot of other actors to embody both, like from Ricky Shot, that really creepy look, and that's a look that I'm familiar with uh, seeing from the other end now, <laughs> as having a teenager in my house. Um, <laughs> yeah, but also being like really kind of cute and boyish and shy when he's talking to Gretchen and. And like this, yeah. he he pulls them off, I, pulls pulls both off very well. His, I'm his his. Oh, your dad has emotional problems. What kind? I have so emotional cute. problems. Oh, I was I like, he was so too. excited. It was and just like he stabbed my mom. And it was, yeah. And it was like hurtfully relatable because it's like, oh man, he's like, he's convinced that he's alone in the universe, and he's like, oh maybe not. Oh, but I suck at relating. So, well, and not just that, the person that he was trying to relate to committed this horrible, violent crime. And especially if you're a paranoid schizophrenic, and, and schizophrenia is, is something that runs in my family a bit. Um, and to hear that the only other person who's admitted to having these emotional issues stabbed their wife is not really right. Like, oh, it's, yay, it's, I'm awful. <laughs> Like everything else in the movie, there are like fifteen layers to what to that interaction, where it's like, ah, uh, like tragedy and pain and this and that and the other thing. Ricky D, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Yeah, that was just a bizarrely dark story detail. Like, yeah, I moved here. It's not because my parents got divorced, or it's not because my mom got a new job. It's because my stepdad stabbed her four and times. It was was in it the really chest. necessary to add that storyline? Would Gretchen have been like less interesting? <laughs> Now, without it, question, question. Do we have any reason to believe Gretchen? Oh, that's a good I point. Mean, her mom does go missing. She does says she. I'm like... going to take her on face value. <laughs> Although I have to say, girl, if you had to change your name, why tell the first guy you've known for like thirty seconds? <laughs> thanks to the best wing woman in the world, Drew Barrymore. Why are you telling them, hey, I had to change my name. This isn't really my name. I believe her, though, because I like Jenna Malone. And you can't if we take her otherwise. If... <laughs> no, you're good. That's fair. If we take her at face value, we're, we're totally good. That's fair. And I agree that I don't know that it was, that it was you know, necessary. Um, Shark Filet points out it does evoke trauma. Now, and that's kind of why I had asked it, because I know that there are also those people that will just say, the first time you meet them, they will go, here's the biggest trauma of my life. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's not that I don't feel bad. It's that I cannot have that be my first interaction with you. Like, I, th th I'm not in a 
place to do that right now. So that's kind of why I asked, because I feel like it's potentially that that could be there. But it, I think Meg is, is right that we're supposed to take that character at face value. Now, our next segment is very fun and very upgraded from how it used to be. This segment is called No Finer One-Liner. No Finer One-Liner, of course, is our favorite dialogue picks from this week's movie or show, whatever we happen to be watching. Let's just go ahead and stick with the theme of having Meg go first. Josh, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and play Meg's choice, and then we'll have Meg explain why she chose it. Um, let's see, is it playing? Here we go. Elizabeth will be in charge. She'll drive you to therapy. And if you need anything, you promise me that you will call Dr. Thurman? How's it feel to have a wacko for a son? It feels wonderful. I shouldn't laugh, but I do, because <laughs> I think we've all been it's there. Fair. I think we've all asked our parents, how does it feel to have a crazy all emotional or daughter? All emotional reactions are valid. Meg, go ahead and talk about why you picked this moment. Oh, so this moment actually almost made me cry when I watched it, and I think that's coming Same. from the place of being a parent and being yep. a parent of a teenager who is dealing with a lot of feelings and emotions and their own kind of mental situation and especially for when this movie takes place to have her affirm and reinforce her love for her kid when Mm -hmm. he's really trying to deflect and beat himself down and and he he's trying to make her reinforce his own negative opinion on about himself to him and she doesn't do it. <laughs> and she and she just, she loves him unconditionally. Mm-hmm. And especially, I think, for a teenager, that's really, really hard to hear. It's really, really painful, especially trying to go through mental health stuff. It's hard to let your parents in. It's hard to feel like they could possibly ever understand. And in his situation, she probably doesn't understand. But she loves her kid. Right. And that's, and it just, I feel it that permeates throughout the movie and culminates in this really kind of heart-wrenching moment because he's trying to push her away with calling himself a wacko and she's not letting him. And it just. Yeah. And he, he has that. Like you said, he's trying to get her to reinforce that negative opinion. And she says, you know, it's wonderful. And yeah. you can hear in her voice that she's, she means that. Now, the first time I saw this when I was a kid, I was like, oh, typical parent. She's lying to him. She's mm-hmm. like, you know, it feels great. I love having a wacko for a kid. When you hear her voice break, like she's right. barely but, holding it together. But she means what she says yeah. in that, hey, however you exist that's what i'm here for i just i just need to be here with you that's all i need and that that divorced from reality thing that so many characters are dealing with in this movie where they're just not paying attention to real life 
the only thing the mother is shown to be paying attention to throughout this entire movie is her children. That mm-hmm. is the only thing she cares about. And she is numb to all other things. You know, maybe to the detriment of those things, but the dad can pretty clearly take care of himself. So I I really, really love that pick, Meg. And I, I agree with you 100% that having a kid makes the scene feel totally different. Um, I don't think that it's 100% required to, for the scene to be accessible, but it no. does add a different, uh, another layer. So I, it's, I, it's what, I didn't it's, even think about the kid. Like, like, Personally, spoke to you. personally yeah. for me, that's kind of what I did. I think obviously you don't have to have a child, a child to understand that right that moment. But where I am in my life with my child, and it just fully it, agree. It made me cry. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks was, for laughing, Josh. No, I'm just it was, I've, I've said that exact to the point, same thing though, to my mother before. <laughs> so it's just kind of like right. I and had to a totally point, different view on it, like. But that's part of it is like the emotion piece of this is the uncomfortable part of it. And that's the realistic part of the movie, Mm -hmm. right? Is that sometimes real life is uncomfortable. All right. uh, Do you know? Let's see. I'll just go next so that we can keep the The same pattern. Is that okay? The Muffin Man. Good to go. Josh, please play my my clip. I'd like to go back to talking about koalas. That's too bad, Meg. Mute her. (laughs) Josh, play my clip. Oh, man. I thought it was Ricky next. I'm freaking sorry. That's uh, all right. I don't uh, care. Play, play someone's, someone's clip. clip uh... Ling Ling finds a wallet on the ground filled with money. She takes the wallet to the address on the driver's license, but keeps the money inside the wallet. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Miss Farm. I don't get this. Just place an X on the lifeline in the appropriate place. No, I mean, I, I know what to do. I just, I don't get this. You can't just lump things into two categories. Things aren't that simple. The lifeline is divided that way. Well, life isn't that simple. I mean, who cares if Ling Ling returns the wallet and keeps the money? Has nothing to do with either fear or love. Fear and love are the deepest of human emotions. Okay, but you're not listening to me. There are other things that need to be taken into account here, like the whole spectrum of human emotion. You can't just lump everything into these two categories and then just deny everything else. If you don't complete the assignment, you'll get a zero for the day. So to me... This scene is the like the core fundamental essence of the movie. Like this is what makes it relatable. This is what makes it good. This is what makes it hard to have to go through this with Donnie. Um, he's given this task, and he explains this task is flawed. And they tell him, you know, they don't explain that the purpose of the task isn't to be correct. They just restate the task. And then he goes, okay, you're not listening. You know, you're not, I'm just saying your system is broken. And she's not even acknowledging that that is an option of thing to think. She's like, okay, this is the system. Okay. So you can either do the thing or you can get a zero, which is the, you know, the metaphorical version of, look, society is this way. This is how reality is. You have to exist in this society. That sucks sometimes. But there is a spectrum of control that you have within that system. Now, you may not like that system, and that's fair, but the chances that you're actually going to change the entire system are like slim to nil. So operate on the spectrum of things that you can control within that system, right? And it it kills Donnie to hear that. He's like, dude, no. <laughs> like, 
the system can be can be wrong like society can be wrong you know the world can be wrong and your refusal to accept that is driving me crazy you won't even have the conversation with me and i know that that feeling like that's that feeling of depression like you know everything is crumbling around you everything is against you everything is designed to be difficult for you that's that feeling um and you're just told deal with it you know like the mental health part of this is everyone is responsible for their own mental health and that's the hard part of it now that doesn't mean you can't ask for help and that there isn't help available you should most certainly ask for help and seek help when necessary but it is your responsibility to go hey i need help with this and that's the hard part and i feel like just this this fundamental difference between these two characters is so front and center in this scene and i i i love it sorry well, Meg, go ahead no it's fine i just i feel like it's not even necessarily as big as that i've had teachers like like this woman who is like no 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 you have to do these there's no room for discussion there's right. no room for free thought or or any other ideas it's this or this and this it's a binary and the spec like there's a spectrum but it's a binary you get one or the right. other and you can't express anything different than that and he keeps saying you're not listening to me you're not listening that fear and love are not they're not the only two emotions and he even validates her when she says they're the deepest emotions that a person can feel and he's like maybe but he that's not ground, yeah. all there is there's more to it and there is absolutely more to it that's what's so infuriating about this whole attitudinal whatever thing <laughs> that's it's just it's so irritating and then when you put it against um and i can't remember drew barrymore's character's name but she was Hot wonderful but uh, i think it was miss foyne yeah foyne uh, foyne karen is her first name because she was the least karen karen i thought too um, but when you when it's juxtaposed against the english clash class where it's an open discussion and and free thought and ideas are really kind of encouraged it becomes all the more start like no wonder she's the gym teacher well, like and, she is not there to teach children to teach well and that, that exact same thing is illustrated when drew barrymore is fired yes because she's like dude no the system is bad and he's like no 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 you're not hearing me <laughs> like you're just fired <laughs> too bad you, you failed right like yeah. and she's like no but we got to do this and he's like no you, you're already done it's it's over so um does that leave R ricky next or josh uh, it's next ricky exactly it's gonna say something funny on ricky, the screen go ahead. um because something happened but I, I fixed it so we got it here we go why are you wearing that stupid bunny suit I thought this was just a really good, very short piece of dialogue that kind of, it explained the, it didn't explain, but it referenced the parallel universes and the ambiguity of everything going on in the film. Uh, because, you know, why are you wearing that stupid rabbit suit is a good question, right? If I'm trying to get information from this character, why is he dressed up like this? And then having it turned around and go, why are you wearing that stupid man suit? It's just kind of a, oh, whoa, mm -hmm. why are we wearing these man suits? I, yes, I would, I feel, I feel like my reaction is Josh's face where it's like, 
Was it a woe though? I mean, like, <laughs> it's definitely meant to be a woe, right? Yeah. It's de- you're definitely supposed to go, dude. That was right? a chuckle moment for um, me. That was like, haha, man suit. <laughs> but it's but it's metaphorical, I, yes. right? Like he's the, the character of Donnie is in crisis and he doesn't know who he is, and the the bunny is going, "Who are you?" And he's like, "Dude, I don't I don't know." But it it is uh, it does have that sort of like. That's the other part of the movie that feels like I watched it in high school to me. Like, is that is? But I like the exchange because it it offers that. It, I mean, it even goes back to you know what Meg was saying, sort of the false dichotomy thing. Like, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You know, it doesn't have to be that Frank is dressed up in a suit. It could be that Donnie is dressed up in a suit, and you're not even supposed to be here, dude. Like, you created this tangential timeline on on accident like nobody none of this is supposed to happen <laughs> so i it it is a nice uh, illustration of that and that's actually also the first time that we hear frank's voice not distorted um where he sounds like otherworldly that's the first time where we hear him just whispering so i really like that pick josh does that leave you i think that's you still me, have yep. your pick right yeah, for no finer one liner all right go ahead <laughs> i made her lead dancer Sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. Yeah, and you know what? This, I mean, the look on Mama Darko's face the whole time this lady's pleading to her was basically the look I give to my dad every time I talk to him about religion. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, not not necessarily, but like, her look of like satisfaction of like, oh, you're suffering right now. Oh, you, oh, perfect little godchild. Oh, you need a favor from me. Like, it was, it was great. I I really like that whole scene because, because it was just this this lady that thinks she's so much better than everybody else, having to finally ask someone for help because her best friend is a pedophile. Like. It's it's all everyone but is just she terrible. Still is deluded. <laughs> yeah, but even in that moment, she clings to her delusion. Right, exactly, exactly. Like the mm-hmm. the mom is looking at her like, yeah, yeah. "Wow, you really just can't right. let it go." But she's huh? like, "Oh my god, <laughs> like, you're you're insane!" Like you, this guy. Yeah. You really... Imagine and your I kid gets tell. on Star Search, and you're like, "No, sorry, I gotta hang out with a pedo all weekend." <laughs> yeah, I gotta go support him in court. Like, what? <laughs> He's your real yeah, father. She... Yeah, and and I mean that. So the thing about that line, of course, it's the line, right? That's the line from Donnie Darko. That's the, the line, and and I feel like Meg is already steeped in it. Like she's seen the movie twice, and she's already like, when it happened, she was like, oh, "That's the line." Like she, if if there, if you have no cultural touch point for this movie in your mind anywhere, and you've never seen it, you've heard the phrase. Sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle. I was friends with Ricky on MySpace. Like, I think that is. <laughs> it is all over the internet. It's it's a thing that is in places like that gift gets used on Twitter endlessly. It's it's just it's a beautiful thing. Um I will tell you I, I never I never heard it before. I but but you Maybe I did are, and I never connected the dots, but That's I think what it is is it's that you never paid attention. But I guarantee Maybe. you that least It was it was also something I would say thumb. to my old bandmates in Nebraska, like after watching this movie and we'd get in like a Your bandmates you know, would be like talking Koala shit or whatever i'd be like sometimes I tell you're heavy metal fan. yeah it was an emo band don't worry <laughs> yeah it's the phrase that we used to promote meg's appearance on this show now 
Speaking of, we do still have one more segment to get through. And this segment might be a little bit shorter than it has been in previous weeks. But the third segment that we have for the movie version of Sudden But Inevitable is called Captain of the Movie. No, I'm not gonna do that. So the song just me so emo. Well, we're gonna get we're gonna get uh, copyright struck (laughs) from the heavens. Uh, So, (laughs) captain of the movie is it is a category that allows for there to be a main character in this movie other than the character that we are told is the main character, right? So, like if you were watching the Lord of the Rings, maybe Legolas became the main character for you at some point and you cared more. If you were me and you were watching Slither, then at some point Elizabeth Banks' character Starla became the main character because you don't care some about the rest point, of the characters. From in the, the movie. beginning of that movie. What? I'm just saying it's an example. If you know Fury Road, Furiosa is the main character, not Mad Max. Anyways, this is to allow for space and wiggle room just in case there was somebody else you felt more compelled to root for in this movie than the main, main character. Now, I'm going to go ahead and open this discussion by saying I think it has to land on Donnie because he has he's one of the only characters with demonstrable agency throughout the movie and he seems to use it for the greater good. So I feel like it might end up having to be him, but um, I am willing to root exclusively for Maggie Gyllenhaal's character because she is just... I, I love Maggie Gyllenhaal, personally. Um, I think her face is one of those faces that when you see it, you're like, she's a nice person. I know in real life she's a nice person. I don't know if that's true. That's just how I feel about Maggie Gyllenhaal when I see her. Um, her character is a little on the edges. like she's not, She doesn't have a lot to do, but she seems like she's pretty well with it and would be cool to hang out with, so I'm okay with that. Um, let's throw it to Josh. Josh, is there anybody other than Donnie in this movie that you might say would be the captain of this movie? Yeah, hot teacher. <laughs> uh miss miss foyne no no yeah. wiley well <laughs> good point meg um and in like, the real the universe teacher, the teacher was like doing things i mean she was kind of like weird about it but i feel like she was being a little more progressive with her students and kind of you know being a little more real with them and you don't get a lot of that from teachers i remember when i was in school you didn't get a lot of that from teachers but I, I liked her, and especially when she got fired, her human reaction to go outside and just scream fuck. I was like, yeah, yeah, I hope you win, lady. I really <laughs> I really hope you come back strong because you're doing a great job. That would have been my captain. All right, okay, so we have uh, Ms. Foyne as the... Uh, as a nomination for captain of the movie, Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D. Do you have any nominations? Yeah, I've got kind of a weird take on this. Uh, Roberta Sparrow or Grandma Death, I think, could be the captain of the movie because she is kind of directing Donnie's knowledge of time traveling. And, you know, she predicted everything happening here was not that these specific things, but in the past, she predicted this time travel and this event and she she helped donnie through it all she helped him understand it through that book mm-hmm. and she i mean almost repeatedly sacrificed herself to do so i i, I mean that th- again back to the audio mix for this movie 
all of the scares in this movie were like audio moments where like the brakes would squ- screech or the engine would yeah. hit the, the <laughs> house or like, the, yeah, just the droning violins would pop in out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, but that's interesting. I like that take. And I think Roberta Sparrow is just a cool name. It's like, you know, I, I, there's something about it that feels adventure and and sci-fi. Um, great, 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 like great, great granddaughter of Jack Sparrow. I really possibly. feel like it was just the saddest version of the lake house because she keeps checking the window. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'll take your word for that. Donnie, you took so long to write her. <laughs> <laughs> but in a looping time universe, it shouldn't matter how long it took Donnie. Anyways. Oh, man. Um, Meg, do you have a pick for captain of the movie? Yeah. First, I want to address Callie and say, yeah, Aragorn exists. And then also Samwise exists he does he's wonderful he's a real hero we're not talking about the rings i could i could talk for so long i exist what a lot of people exist what do you (laughs) mean (laughs) wash your face (laughs) um so i wasn't like necessarily like the one person i could root for but just from where i am in my life um mama darko rose darko kind of became the main character for me just like i said just where I am having a teenager who's dealing with mental health issues and who's dealing with all of that stuff. And and I was talking to my husband about how there was one scene with her that I was like, I want to be that parent when I grow up. When she goes in and her, it's in the beginning of the movie and she and Donnie have like this disagreement in his room. And she's like, I don't even recognize you anymore. This is not my son. And she like walks out and he calls her a bitch after she leaves and she hears it in the hallway and he knows she hears it and she doesn't go back in there and start a knockdown drag out fight. I am not at that point as a parent yet. <laughs> Me neither. Like right now. And I, I desperately want to be the parent who goes to, to goes to my co-parent and be like, your daughter called me a bitch tonight and having just like, well, you're bitching, but you're not a bitch. And like that be enough because right now I'm in this area where I just want to, I have not gotten to the point in my parenting where I'm able to just let go a little bit. I'm new to being a parent to a teenager and it's a completely different animal. So watching Rose and, and I wouldn't necessarily say she was divorced from all reality, except for her children. Her children were her priority, which frankly they should be. Mm -hmm. And not giving a shit about the terrible people in the community. I don't feel like is a negative for her, but the way that she opening scene of her reading a book while her son is apparently missing, notwithstanding, um, she loves her kids and she supports them and she is there for them. And she, and that unconditional love and support. And I actually really like seeing the parents relationship with each other. They do yeah. lean on each other. The dad's not just this dopey dad. He's kind of a goofball in the beginning, but he very yeah. clearly loves his children. And his and, wife. And his wife. And and the that whole family felt really relatable to me and really kind of realistic. Their dialogue with each other, that opening dinner when they're they're just dad's trying not to laugh when his kids are talking. <laughs> <laughs> when they're swearing when they're they swearing be, and, and they shouldn't be the 
a fuckwad? Is that what it was? Yeah. No, fuckhole or something. Fuckhole. Ah, I don't even. No, suck a fuck. Fuck ass. <laughs> fuck ass. That's what it was. Well, <laughs> this just went from uh, PG thirteen. <laughs> when am R? I gonna? When am I gonna <laughs> squirt one out? Not till eighth grade. <laughs> And then, like, and to be clear, it was unfair for her to get mad that Donnie jumped in with not till eighth grade. Like, she already used the gross phrasing that the sister used. But like, that's, but there that's, was some version of it that was like, come on, that's, that's me, relatable. But for me, like, even as, that was even relatable to me right. also because. It's realistic. I have, I have two kids and they, and they do this with each other. And, and I, at some point you had to be like, enough is enough. And one of them always gets mad that they were the one who got in trouble for it so right. rose just kind of became this i i, I get I a move her. that we give captain of the movie to rose in honor of meg our guest <laughs> the um, pity I, the pity captain for meg well, so, <laughs> so meg so as a as a parent of a two-year-old i have trouble letting go of my pride and mm-hmm. reminding myself she's not actively trying to make me angry like it, so I can't even imagine it what it must be like with somebody easier. who is actually trying to make you angry as a teenager. Like, and I'm not saying your kid is doing that. I'm saying oh, once she is a teenager, she'll have the capacity to make me angry on purpose. So it, it's like, I, I, I feel you. And I think respectfully, we're going to give captain of the movie <laughs> in your name to Rose Darko. That's, I think that's the way to go. Now, my friends, my wonderful crew, my beautiful guest. That's the end of our segments. We're out of stuff to talk about. I mean, we're not out of stuff to talk about, but that's the end of our show for this week. Now, before we get out of here, we do do this one other thing where we give the movie a rating out of 10, but let's save that. And before we do that, let's give our wonderful guest, Meg, a chance to let the fine viewers and listeners know where they can get a hold of more of her because i know that after listening or watching this episode of sudden but inevitable they're gonna want more meg so meg (laughs) feed the people uh well you can find my podcast with my best friend my wi-fi wifey carla (laughs) that's true kelly um you can find our podcast on twitter at bedwed behead pod on instagram at bed.wed.behead.pod and all the places where you can find fine and non-fine podcasts at bedwet or behead <laughs> and the basic premise is me and my best friend play fuck mary kill with fictional characters and sometimes we have friends on and it's character analysis with a twist which is fun and we're actually going to start recording new episodes we've been on a little bit of a hiatus to get through the holidays because wow <laughs> no kidding i i have to say really quickly thank you shark fillet in the chat we appreciate you being here uh we also hope more folks discover us to that point we've already covered firefly we've covered the original anime cowboy bebop we're gonna cover the live action cowboy bebop coming up for season three so if you are looking for a podcast to check out the backlog of i think we can help you out with that um and i have to say I have listened to a lot of episodes of Bedwed Behead, <laughs> and uh, Ricky D and I were very fortunate to be on an episode of Bedwed Behead. And um, if you <clears> have <throat> been here before, <laughs> then yeah, you know Josh, we will talk. that Meg is Sudden But Inevitable family. 
there have been moments where we needed a last minute and I'm talking within like 40 minutes fill in guest and you know to put a show together and it's all my fault I'm sorry. I texted <laughs> it's okay it's okay I texted Meg I said I don't know what to do this is what's going on and she was there and um, we put a show together and it was great it's a very popular episode on our list of downloads so I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart and from the bottom of the two husks on the screen with me Meg thank you for being here with <laughs> us we really really do feel honored to have you with us and we are happy to have you back anytime uh shark fillet says i can think of a couple of friends to recommend you to that is music to our ears i can't tell you as an indie podcaster that's kind of the only way that we get bigger so thank you very much shark fillet um ricky and josh is there anything that you guys feel like you'd like to plug this week other than the normal stuff uh i do have a best flicks coming out should be new year's day uh, Matrix Resurrections is just is out now, Ooh. so that's going to be a huge release. It already has been a huge release, very divisive, of course. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just going to talk about it, give my take, and try not to be too tough on it. I went and watched it in IMAX. If you want someone to be real tough on it, hit me up. <laughs> uh, I do have a guest lined up already. Oh, okay. And and Josh, I know you're going to talk about Quest Me in a moment, but I am going to say, just so that it has been said, I don't think The Matrix Resurrections was for us. Like, um, no, I don't no, think no, we're no. the intended audience. So, and no, I'm okay no. with that. No, Anyways, uh, Josh, tell us about Quest Me. Yeah, Quest Me comes out tomorrow. What? So, um, we're going to start our new live Star Wars podcast. Uh, my good friend Justin, who has been around the TMA podcast for long time he he comes on a lot um he's gonna join me on season three of quest me as we talk about the book of boba fett that episode dropped today so we're gonna talk about that tomorrow night at seven i think i think uh okay look this this week is a little weird and <laughs> and like i i have a lot of things happening like personally and stuff still it's been going on for months but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that the schedule for Quest Me is gonna be Thursdays. Um so Thursdays at 7:30 Mountain Time is when we'll go live for Quest Me. Um to work around, you know, Marvel that goes on Wednesdays normally and Sun Inevitable that goes on Fridays normally. So again, it's it's been kind of a weird week, but I'm pretty sure that Quest Me is gonna stick to the Thursdays. So if you like Star Wars and you like Boba Fett. Um, I have a lot to say about both of those things. So join mm. us. Join Good us luck, on Josh. That's a pretty narrow audience. I don't know many people that like Star Wars and What's Boba a Fett. Star but, War? Uh, <laughs> so uh, let's let's take Megan's this moment to um, <laughs> let's say thank you <laughs> to everybody that has been here with us in our live chat tonight, you guys. I am so grateful, as I have said every week, and as I will say every week to the people in the live chat, as well as to the people who listen in podcast land. This week, the people in the live chat have included Callie D, her mother Rona D, no relation to Ricky D. Our new friend Shark Filet has been here. Uh, our friend Lauren from the Beard Owl podcast stopped by. Our friend Aaron from It's a Fandom Thing stopped by. Our friend Mal, who is a huge Bedwed Behead super fan, stopped by and of course our friend roy from the intrepid dm journeys podcast stopped by and I, you guys that's a huge list of people just to say thank you to for us talking about donnie darko i'm i have so much fun 
with this show every week. And I have so much fun that sometimes I even forget to ask you guys for your ratings out of 10 on a movie that we've watched. Now, I know you thought it was going to happen, but it didn't happen. So, because Meg is the guest, oh, let's close. have Meg go first. Before we get out of here, Meg, please give this movie a rating out of 10 based solely on your opinion, my friend. All right, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 because the first time I watched it was kind of messed up. But this is also a movie that I feel like you need to watch it more and more to kind of understand it. Every time you watch it, you're going to notice something different. And watching it in different stages of your life is going to give you different part, different things to take away from it. So I feel like in that aspect, um, it's absolutely a movie that will, there's a reason it's become a classic. It, and it's something that will continue to move people, I think. Um, also, it's just, it's very, it's art. Like, you can see the art of the, of the movie. Yeah. And it's good art. Um, is this something I'm going to be, like, watching over and over again? Is this, like, my new fave? No, probably not. But I can absolutely appreciate why people love it and, and what makes it so dear to so many people and conversations like this really kind of help instill that which is why i love these kind of conversations because even if you go in not liking something you can usually come out appreciating it oh yeah i'm glad aaron will let me uh (laughs) (laughs) and i really like your point i really like that i really like that meg um I gotta say thank you one more time, Shark Filet. This is uh, not the first time that we've heard that from people our age. They we've heard from a couple folks our age. Like, did we grow up in parallel universes and just not ever meet each other? Because I'm into all the same stuff that you guys are. Uh, so thank you. That means the world to us. Um, I have a cool thing. I wrote down what I think um, Josh and Ricky will rate this movie at. I have a very high tech Metro um, Sketch that my daughter owns. Um, so because Ricky, I I have a feeling I know what you're gonna give this movie. Josh, let's have you go first. What do you give this movie out of ten? When I was uh, when I was younger, I gave it a four. Uh, today, when I started watching it, I was giving it a five, and then after talking to all y'all, I'm giving it a seven. I wrote oh, down six point five. You were close. close. You were close. Pretty close. You give it a seven, huh? That's that's pretty good recovery. Yeah. I thought I, I thought for sure this movie was going to come in sub five for you give at the start of the night. Nah, nah, I give it a seven. I like the journey. I really, really like that. Ricky D from <laughs> Best Flicks with Ricky D. What have you got, my friend? I'm going 8.9. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) 8.9. Oh, my God. (laughs) And I wrote wrote plus or minus one because I figured he will adjust that based on how angry Josh is at this movie. If Josh would have said four, Ricky would have said 9.9. But because he didn't, Ricky said 8.9. So I I just... Oh, that's great. I feel good about that, you guys. I feel good about that. I. Yeah, I, I feel good about that. So um, I, in case you didn't see it, I'm going to give the movie an 8.6. I think that's about where it sits. It's definitely better than your average movie. It's a B plus. It's a high B plus. Um, you could call it an A on the right day. I think you could also call it a C if you were in the wrong mood watching it. Um, but I, I really think that this this is a well-done um film and i think it's the kind of thing that when you share it with people for the first time they have an experience that they're going to remember um meg i know never saw it but now she's gonna go yeah the first time i saw that it was actually for a podcast and um (laughs) 
I have a whole range of emotions about it. And then she'll talk to those people. So it this is this is my first time ever trying that. So I'm really glad that it worked out, you guys. <laughs> I think we'll bring back the etch a sketch in the future. That seems to have been a fun thing. So that's that's wonderful. I love it. If we if there's nothing else, you guys, I think we have taken up enough of these fine folks' time. Let's go ahead and wrap things up and get out of here for the sign off. Let's go Meg, Ricky, Josh, and me. So for sudden but inevitable, I have been your host, Jesse. And I'm Meg. <laughs> This is Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D. And I'm Josh. Cellador. Thank you for listening to Sudden But Inevitable. Follow us on Twitter at Sudden But. Find us on Instagram at Sudden But Inevitable Podcast. And join the show live in the chat at youtube.com slash twistmyarmpodcast. Or to get everything all in one place, go to twistmyarmpodcast.com slash SBI. Sudden But Inevitable is a Twist My Arm podcast. The views and opinions expressed on this show are held solely by those speaking them.